you like haunts? Yes. Do you like immersive theater? Yes. Do you like escape rooms? Yes. What's the safe word? My haunt life. alone. The chill of an early winter embraces his lone figure, strolling silently through the trees. Leaves have long since revealed their autumn colors, telling age-old tales of seasons gone by and seasons yet to come. The first flakes of snow cling to the ground, crunching lightly with each step forward, deeper into the forest. A deep breath pulls in the sweetly repulsive aroma of rotting pumpkin and damp leaves. The festive Halloween is a recent memory. But sadly, just a memory. Nearby but unseen, a companion in the forest offers a greeting. The single cry of an owl breaks the man's concentration. He is not alone, after all. What are you doing? What do you mean? What am I doing? I'm I'm like setting the scene. I'm like like it. It's fall. It's autumn. It's, it's we live in California. There's no such thing as fall. I know, but we we, we it, well. Co- if you know, then how are you trying to set a scene of fall? Well, we covered this in the last podcast. You went back northeast, man. So yeah, you went like back into cliche: autumn, fall, changing leaves, Halloween in the northeast with the crisp cold and the like. I was trying to like that was me trying to paint a portrait of your dear you but you didn't go i know but i was so who are you to talk about (laughs) the northeast like that but did you have like did you back in the northeast did you have like a crisp fall halloween did like did you do stuff like did you eat a caramel apple no no did you make popcorn balls for trick-or-treaters no did you bob for apples no what am i 12 So, <laughs> at the school Halloween party. So, did you go trick or treating? No. What? So, so what if we just kill the owl? Okay, not what I intended, but that works. What did you do for Halloween, man? Oh, we'll get there. Okay. <laughs> I was just, I was like, I was so excited because. You oh were... boy, I'm so glad to be back <laughs> and recording this podcast with you right now. So there was no owl, there was no light snow on the ground, there was no walking alone So in the since forest. the last podcast, um, <laughs> the, the thing we did after that was so, <laughs> dirty tricks. <laughs> uh, well, I guess we should say welcome to my Haunt Life podcast. I'm Russell. I'm Mike. So, and, um, all right, well, happy Halloween, Mike. It's been, it's like three weeks ago, dude. I, I know, but we're doing kind of a wrap up and you were no, gone. No, we're you, not. No. I was so excited because you were having a fall Halloween. I was happy for you. Where's the red button that makes everything explode? <laughs> okay. So, well, uh, since mid-October and you went off uh, to go frolic in the uh, the fall changing leaves. We stop like... talking like that. There is no frolicking. <laughs> was there cavorting? I'm, I'm, Did you cavort? I'm going to stop. I'm I'm done. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, well, we did do uh, Dirty Tricks in October, which is uh, the show from the new Bad Boys of Magic at three clubs in Los Angeles. It's a variety show, which is one of the 
truly one of the best values in town for those people in the Los Angeles Hollywood area. And uh, they had a great lineup, as usual. And unfortunately, it sounds like they're taking a break, Mike. Yeah, I guess that was the last show of the season. They will be back. They should be back uh, next year with uh, Dirty Tricks. And uh, how did you enjoy this one, Mike? Oh, I loved it. It it was really, really good. And this was their one-year anniversary show, I believe. Yeah. So they really had some great talent performing. Uh, Before the show even started, uh, Tyler Rabbit came from you know was going around table to table dude that was awesome yeah i mean he made something change in my hands yeah i if you've listened to the podcast you know mike and i are both uh really big fans of of magic and it really is wonderful to see something just happen inches away from you and and it's the skill is amazing uh the lineup was amazing um yeah that that trick he did for us at the table was was astounding uh, and uh, also on the lineup was um, Nathan Fan, Carl Har- Herlinger, I guess would be the correct way of pronouncing that, hopefully, and uh, Hub. So it's all people who have you know appeared at the Magic Castle. Uh, Nathan Fan, you might have seen on television on Masters of Illusion, which actually was really really funny because like this is going to sound horrible funny because you you realize how much effort people put into the show because he was doing his routine and he actually had to use an inhaler uh because he was having a problem with asthma yeah (laughs) and it was it was so like oh um wow this just suddenly got real (laughs) yeah and he kept saying this isn't part of the act this is real like i'm really need this right now (laughs) and someone had to go get his uh his inhaler truly we've talked about this show in the past this is truly one of the best entertainment bargains in town. Like they keep delivering really great lineups and the tickets are $10. And if you follow them on social media, they usually give discount codes, which bring it down to $5. And it's approximately an hour long show. And if you enjoy magic, no, two hours, if you get there for the close. Oh, that's true. Uh, get there an hour early for the close of magic that goes table to table. We can't speak highly enough of the bad boys of magic. Uh, Dan and Erica are, are truly entertaining, fun entertainers. And um, they've been making various other appearances around town. And if you follow them on social media, you can definitely catch them at a variety of venues. And we highly recommend you check them out if you're in the uh, Los Angeles area. For more information on the new Bad Boys of Magic, you can find them on the web at badboysmagic.com. On Facebook, New Bad Boys of Magic. On Instagram, Bad Boys Magic. And also, if you're coming into town, highly recommend, uh, if if they're performing on a date that you're here, uh, definitely make an effort to go out and see them. We had two guests in from out of town uh, that weekend. Who were they? Uh, Justin and Deanna. And they thoroughly enjoyed the show. What do Justin and Deanna do? Uh, (laughs) uh, They are some of the people behind Miasma in Chicago. Some of the people behind? Yes. It's the creators of Miasma. (laughs) Come on, man. I was trying to give them an air of mystery, so... But no, uh, they were in town, and uh, uh, we sent them the recommendation of checking those guys out, and they were there at the show and and had a really great time. And after Dirty Tricks, I left to go to the theater. Yes. The Theater Macabre. Mm -hmm. And that was your second visit? It was my second visit. And unfortunately, it's closed now. Uh, They ended their run. And I know you went back for a second time as well, and then went to the finale of sorts, I guess. Yes. How was your second visit? It was mind blowing. Um, it like I left there, and I think I texted you or called you on the way home because, like, everything 
in my head was just spinning and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I need to talk to someone about this because it was mm-hmm. so amazing. Um, and it, it was one of those things that I just kept thinking about for, for like days and weeks after it was, it was, it blew away my first visit. Like my first visit, I felt kind of set the stage, no pun intended. Um, and then, you know, it become familiar with the characters inside the, the people the, how it works and everything. And then my second visit, they're just, it was one of those things where you walk in, it's like, oh, remember how you came your first time and you think this, 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 and this? Here's a stick of dynamite. Boom. Because this is not the same thing. And it was a completely different show for me. And it was insane. So this was the second weekend. They were open. Uh, so I went the first weekend and then the second weekend. And from the first to the second, there were already so many changes. Uh, when I walked in, I was told that no doors were closed to me, which I know some other people got. And I walked around and I didn't see any of the show, the quote-unquote show from the first visit, maybe one or two scenes. But everything else was different. Um, and I feel that there were certain things that I did that weren't part of a script and I actually changed things based on things I said or did or who I interacted with, which it's and like, that was the biggest thing for me. Like I saved two girls, you know, and, and, and I truly believe that that happened because I kept forcing a, no, we can leave. You can escape. You can get out of here. And I just kept going with it and pushing and pushing. And finally, she she's like, okay, this is the plan. This is what we're going to do. And it just felt so spontaneous. And it's one of those things. It's kind of like a magic trick. You love the trick. The trick's amazing. But you ne- don't necessarily want to know if you how, to, how it's done. So whether or not that was actually part of the script, I don't want to know because it didn't feel like it. And what, there, there were so many moments like that. What character? Do you remember her name? Katrina. All right. So it's because I, cause I know that there was a character named Rose that various people had to try to save. And I don't think a lot of people did on, in their courses. But that's the thing. She wasn't meant to be saved. She wasn't trying to be saved. She, I was alone with her in a room and there was an open door. And, you know, maybe it's PTSD from the OOA Institute. But I saw the open door and I was like, do you want to be here? Are you forced to be here? Because we can leave out that door right now. We can go. And I kept talking about that and she, and, and like her mood just kind of changed and it was like, okay, let's, let's get out of here. Me. And, uh, I forget the other girl's name. Um, but we're going to be on stage in a minute. So when, after our, our act, you need to make a distraction and then we're going to run out the door and we're going to come back in here and, and you can hold the door shut for us. And I was like, okay. So that happened. They went, they finished their show on stage. I made a commotion. I started screaming. They both ran down the stage, out the door. I ran with them, closed the door, ran into the other room, went with, went with, followed them and like, make sure that door's shut because they're going to come in and get us. And like, we were running through like where all the other people were just like, I think waiting for their next scenes and like, and it was just, it was just so cool. And so when it, we, we got there, they escaped through the fire escape and they were gone. And I, you know, and I went and looked and they were gone. I couldn't find them anymore. And then, so then, but then the scary part, here I am alone in this room and I walk out and a lot of the 
cast is just hanging out in this hallway. And so I just went towards the back by these stairs and just started watching and listening. And people noticed me and they're like, are you lost? And I was like, no. And like, it was, it was literally scary. Like it felt like it felt real again. Like I shouldn't have been there because I was watching them. And then Isabella saw me and the the man on top saw me and they started talking and she came over to me and then they started talking to me and then led me to, to another room. But the fact that I was just there and it felt so wrong, like I was like, I was trespassing, like it it was so great. And that's after I helped two girls escape. And yeah, actually, I think that what you just touched on is the strength of theater macabre is those moments when you kind of, you know, I use the phrase drop in and it really does feel real. I, uh, just a, a quick recap for people who, uh, hopefully you, you are familiar with what we're talking about. Theater Macabre is a show that was running during October in Los Angeles, put on by the experiences, the same creators behind the tension experience and the lust experience events. And the premise is, is, uh, roughly a theater, uh, which features performances of very dark macabre material is up and running. And as part of the event, you walk in and you start interacting with characters who work there and live there and their entire lives have been consumed by this theater. And you learn about the history of the theater. You learn that there might be some very, very, unscrupulous people involved with it and some very nefarious activities going on behind the scenes you get to poke and prod and explore and figure out what you can learn about those experiences that's the event is you interacting with and learning about what's going on behind the scenes and that quite often unlocks tracks of story or unlocks scenes involving various characters so um i also went back mike i had a different experience than you well yeah (laughs) everybody (laughs) had different experiences um i actually uh when i came back the second time uh you were greeted by a gentleman named francis and i he had a a bandage on and i asked him about that and i had this wonderful conversation with him where he sort of told me um almost a fairy tale, kind of a fable story, which paralleled the theater itself. And it was about lies and truth and how sometimes we can't tell the difference between the two. And that was my setup before entering the second time. However, my second time, I was not told that all doors were open to me. I was not given any of that information. Here's the weird thing. My first time through, uh, my second time through, let me clarify, was much better than my first time through, I feel. And I had a wonderful time my first time through. It was a very emotional, very tragic, very heart- heartfelt story that I kind of explored my first time. My second time through, uh, when I entered, um, after talking with Francis and going upstairs, the MC found me and pulled me into that first room where you get the rules and you witness a very upset woman who's lost her husband. I replayed that whole room And I was surprised because the first time I went, they said, well, if you come back, uh, you won't have to be here. You know, you'll be somewhere else. And they actually said that if I came back, I wouldn't have to be in that room and repeat that sequence. I had to repeat that whole sequence. And the MC came and got me out of the hallway, pulled me in, introduced me by name to other people and very specifically said, no one is to leave this room. That's weird. 
And then I went out into the hallway and I was led by Isabella into the next sequence. Um, and I repeated the um, sort of the lottery game. Uh, I had to repeat that sequence. I also had to repeat like the third or fourth room where you get the story of Isabella at a, as a young age, having to watch a man die by eating sewing needles, which by the way is a horrifying story. Both times I heard it, that was just a really effective sequence, but it, it struck me as odd. And actually when I got to that sequence, I actually was thinking in my head, I'm repeating the exact same show I got the first time. Except here's the difference, and I'm wondering, Mike, if this was the difference for me. After the first room, I engaged with um, a gentleman, which people refer to as the sheriff. And here is one of those weird immersive theater moments. Uh, when you buy a ticket to Theater Macabre, there's a question before you can actually purchase your ticket. And the question basically says... You know, you're at the theater and the house lights dim and a voice asks you as a spotlight turns toward you, why are you here tonight? And my second time through, you know, when I purchased that ticket, I indicated that I wanted to prove something. And the sheriff asked me why I was here and if it was my first time. And I, when I said no, he said, well, why did you return and I gave him a reason for returning and he looked at me right in the eye and he said, do you feel you have something to prove tonight? So I don't, it, so it's one of those weird moments. Like, was that just coincidence that he asked me that question? When after I bought my ticket, I specifically sent them the message. No. I want to prove this. Nothing is coincidence. You know, I asked if he had a piece of advice and he sent me to another person and he said, well, if you are interested in that, you might want to go talk to that person, the indicated person. When I got led into the second room, which is where sort of a lottery game is played, that person, his name was Peter, he pulled me away. He gave me some information, which sort of set me on my course for the night. He told me this fascinating story about how certain men were disappearing from the theater uh, and he thought... I might be able to help him figure out what was going on. So that started my track. He wanted me to look for someone named Thomas. Peter, I think, was um, imbibing a little bit of some alcohol. And he said, I'm going to strengthen my nerves. You need to go down and join the rest of the group. And that's where, once again, I got, you know, Isabella actually pulled me aside and said, you have to stay here and talk to me. So I was being very firmly controlled my second time through which felt odd to me because that's exactly what I wasn't expecting, but I went with it. And I think the reason maybe why is I needed to know what happened to Peter, even though I knew from the first time what was going to happen to Peter, if the same story played out. And indeed Peter, Peter had a rough night. And so later when I found Thomas, Thomas demanded from me that I tell him the story of Peter. So I think that maybe that's why they were corralling me is that they had to make sure I knew that, but still it felt weird, you know, and again, I go back to ticket price. It's $150 a ticket. It's the most expensive ticket of the season. And I am literally being corralled on the same path that I was the first time when the whole point is you go in and explore so it, it's like my second time felt really, really odd at the beginning. But I will say this, when I got to Thomas, when I found who Thomas was and I started interacting with him, I had the most awkward, 
an uncomfortable night <laughs> in the best possible way. And here's the difference between my first and second time. The first time, you know that I am this empathetic person who always wants to help and always wants to fix and always wants to do good. The second time through, the track that I wound up on, Mike, made me uncomfortable because I was told that I had to engage in sort of this, with this party animal kind of guy. And he was all about the risque, all about the innuendo, all about the hot women, all about the, you know, the sex, drugs, rock and roll kind of vibe that was definitely there. And he was obviously feeling me. I was like, how on board am I with this? So the wonderful thing for me, Mike, my second time through is I said to myself, okay, I'm going to run with this guy. I am going to roll like he rolls. I'm going to, and he started sending me on missions like, you need to go talk to that woman. You need to find out this piece of information from her. He told me that I had to go up and ask a question of a woman that I would never ask. I'm going to say in real life. What about her dildos? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I met Thomas too. So, um, but the thing for me is I had a wonderful time being uncomfortable with him. And I like, how do I amp up my game to match his? And so I was role playing and I was having fun with that adventure myself. And it ended up with, um, this will come around later. I actually ended up in a scene where he was having a really, really good time and I got to watch and I actually got to participate in that scene a bit and I know I surprised him by how much I embraced and how much of a party animal I tried to make myself. That was fun. That was what I got from my second time was that adventure. So why not just do that in real life then if it was fun? Because it's not me. But if it's fun... It's not the real me, but I will say that it, it was wonderful that I didn't have to save somebody or I didn't, I, I, you know, it wasn't about feeling and doing the right thing. So that, that got me out of my comfort zone. And, and what it unlocked for me is I was asked what, how I stood about the theater and, and is this something that I would like to see continue and would I defend it and how would I defend it? And I got challenged in multiple scenes. And in the end, I got put in the awkward position of I needed. And this this obviously, you know, that this makes me uncomfortable is like, would you harm someone to protect this theater was put in front of me? And I chose yes. It's like harm that person for the sake of the theater. And other characters were shocked and other characters came to me and said, why did you do that? What the, do you realize what you have caused? And I just turned to them and I said, yeah, I do. And you know why I'm protecting you. That's why I did it. So I was way out of my comfort zone my second time through. And, um, you know, there's a sequence which some people got their second time through. Um, I walked into a room and they actually, there was a large number of people in this room and one very intense woman came up to me and spoke to me and challenged me on my failures of the past. Specifically, I, I told the story on the last podcast of I failed to save a girl the way you did. 
And they challenged me about that. And they said, well, you didn't do very well the other night, did you? And I admitted that I hadn't. One of the most intimidating things to happen to me is this is very choreographed. Everyone in that room was focused on me, Mike. And I don't know if you had a similar scene, but everyone in that room in unison took one step forward toward me. I was terrified. It was so shocking because I had all this attention, you know, and I was asked, I was focusing on the woman and, and suddenly this entire room full of people take one step toward me. And then they took another step toward me. And I literally remember going, whoa, and backing toward the door. And there was someone behind me preventing my exit. So I felt trapped. I felt intimidated. I felt like I had to defend where, who I was and what I had done. So like that, so my second time through, I thought was much more raucous and, and it had more of a fun, out of control vibe than my first time through. It was a much more successful thing, even though I, like I said, it had a clunky beginning because I started to doubt if I was in the right place or if they had forgotten about me or if they didn't realize that I was doing the same thing over again. Um, and that took me out. But once I got past that, it was a wonderful experience. Now, I know other people who have walked away from Theater Macabre. It's funny. Um, I went to a different immersive theater piece recently and talked to other people about Theater Macabre who did not enjoy it as much as you and I are talking about. The thing that they were telling me is that they didn't feel like they got a complete track, which happened to me the first time. I felt like my story the first time had no clear ending. And they were saying that they, for the price of $150, they didn't feel like they got a story. And I think the difference is, and the, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because I would like your opinion on this. Those people, is it because, do you think that they aren't appreciating the sandbox that you're playing in? Or do you think there has to be more of a story? Because I know people who got derailed on their tracks. And I know one person told me that they were being given a mission and somebody on their second time through apparently stole the mission out from under them. Somebody else was using the code phrases they were given. Somebody else was receiving the stuff that they were supposed to receive. And so their their track got kind of stolen. So there was some confusion as to what they were supposed to do next. Um, I also talked to someone who went once and they said they didn't feel like they got a complete track, but they said, I got all of these weird disconnected scenes and it was a lot of fun, but it made no sense whatsoever. I wonder if there is a way of having a happy medium where that certain people do get complete tracks in the midst of all this chaos. Because I was, particularly the second time, I was more okay with the chaos. I, I guess the question is, how do you talk to people who went to theater macabre and didn't have as a good time as we did. That's them, not me. What, like, what can I do? You know, like if they didn't have a fun time, that sucks, but nothing I say is going to make them have a better, better time now that well, it's done. No. And, I, and I'm not trying to make us responsible for their good time or a bad time. It's just, I, I think it's interesting that this piece is so divisive among immersive theater fans. It depends on who it is too. Like different people like respond to different things. So like one immersive theater fan could come to this and be like, oh my God, all it is is talking. Whereas, you know, maybe they're used to like immersive theater where it's more site specific and not as interactive, you know, like 
it there's so many different variables where someone could like or not like a show. The valid point, and 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 certainly this is the absolute most interactive piece of immersive stuff that I have ever attended by far. One thing that has come up in those conversations, Mike, uh, I found it really interesting that uh, one person actually made the comment to me uh, along the lines of, she walked away from this show thinking Theater Macabre was a show for mean people. What do you mean? She, I think my impression was uh, that she felt the show had a, an, an overall town, a tone of being mean-spirited. There are tracks that involved... Uh, criticism of the patron uh one patron actually felt bullied at one point and they they i know they publicly stated that which was i think could be interpreted multiple ways but i think it's a very valid point that there were tracks in this show where the patron was made to feel like a failure was made to feel responsible for bad stuff um and i think that's what she means by this was a show for mean people i can I can kind of understand that, but at the same time, I wonder if the people that are making these comments just aren't into horror. Because look at the flyers. It says you're going to like witness a murder and do all this. And you know, you st- if you still buy a ticket knowing that you're going to see things like murder and you know, stuff like that, it's like, well, what what did you expect? It's not going to be Mary Poppins like going around. You know what I mean? Which I know you would love, but <laughs> I don't I don't know. I I guess like I'm not sure what what people are expecting knowing what ascension was, knowing what lust was, knowing the who the creators are. Like what would you else what else would you expect? Well, here's another comment uh, made by someone who when when we talked, I think he had been four times. And one of the things that that person said to me was one thing that doesn't add up for this show is their advertising doesn't uh, they don't deliver what they're advertising. All of the dark tone, all of the promises of murder and death and mayhem, it, it, it's sort of like a light version of that inside. And I think that's what some people might be reacting to is, it's. I don't see this show as horror, do you? Yeah. Really? There's. I mean, you of all people should know that there's different levels of horror. Yeah, absolutely. So... There's blood, there's murder, there's betrayal. Like, all of those are horror characteristics. Okay, granted, yeah. I see your point. I'm not sure if I would consider this a... It felt more like a... It's it's that age-old question, like, what is a horror film, what is a thriller? This felt like a thriller to me. Okay. And, uh... And I know people were expecting, because they were talking about, they actually released an audio recording before opening that seemed to feature someone being killed uh, live on stage. And I I don't know if the tone of the overall show matched that darkness. I mean, one of the first things you see is is a woman being held against her will, getting her throat slit on stage. So, um, okay. I that's all right. That was not one of the first things I saw. So, oh, really? No. Like when you walk into the theater? No. Oh yeah. That's what I saw. And actually my second time, I was the one that got to slit the throat. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> and it was really weird because I think it was the, uh, the, the time slot before me, like in the crowd. Oh, weird. Cause as soon as I walked in, Katrina came and got me. She's like, Mike Fontaine, come with me. And I was like, Oh, Okay. Oh, uh, I well, very cool for you. <laughs> I'm sure you enjoyed that. I did. That would have been interesting. That would have been another interesting thread. I would have loved to have seen that. 
um, or gone through that track. I don't know. I it just like I there there's something that isn't landing for a lot of people on this show, and I you know I wish I could verbalize more why I think that is, but I I just think it's a a mismatch of communication of some kind. I think people are not knowing what to expect before they enter that door. I don't know, but it, like I said. I want this to succeed. I think this is a cool show, an important show. I think it's such an ambitious thing. And it always disappoints me when I go to other events and hear people going like, well, you know, it didn't really work for me. Because I I, I think it's fascinating. You know, and to be totally honest, if I had a deeper wallet, I probably would have gone back another time. So, I don't know. It, 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 uh, this has been the most fascinating conversation, I think, in Los Angeles for the haunt season is about theater macabre. Yeah, because I, I, and that's, well, it's interesting you say that because this isn't a haunt, you know, you know and, right. you know, I think every year there's been something that people have been like buzzing about, whether it's good or bad, you know, like a couple of years ago was 17th Door. It's like, oh my God, like this is, they're new and they electrocuted me and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, stuff like that. And each year there's been something. And this year it's a theatrical piece, which it you know we kind of touched on this in the last episode where you were talking about Freakling Brothers hoping that that kind of haunted house doesn't go away because yeah. more things have been turning theatrical you know like creep and in in theater macabre and stuff like that so it's interesting that this seems to be taking over October mm-hmm. you know theatrical things and as we've said for the last few years there's room for all of it there's room for both. Uh, but I, I will say, I think this was, this is the most expensive haunt season I've had so far, uh, because of all the, the shows and everything. But, um, yeah, anyway, I just thought that was, that was interesting that I keep running across this conversation about theater macabre and I'm surprised at how many people it didn't seem to work for. And I know for a lot of people it worked great. And like I said, my first time was clunky, but my second time seemed to, to fire on almost every cylinder. So I don't know. It's like, and, you know, in my opinion, if you're paying $150 for a ticket, you shouldn't be required to come back to get a decent show, which I think, and that was something that somebody said to me is like, well, maybe if I had the money to buy a second ticket, I would have gotten a better show because I would have been more familiar with the premise. So I'm not sure. I'm not saying I have an answer to any of this. I'm just saying it's a fascinating conversation that I keep running into multiple times as I go to other events. So I I have a feeling that this is going to influence a lot of stuff in the future here in the Los Angeles area. Oh, it totally will. You know, I think the... But I don't don't know if if it actually will. I think it'll spawn a lot of ideas, but I don't think many people can pull this off because of budget. Yeah, and and it is a pricey ticket, which is why I know some people could only afford to go once. And I would love to have gone back a third time during the regular run to see what that experience would have been like. Because I did hear from people who got, well, you know, what you were told, like, no doors are closed to you. I didn't get that permission to explore ever. So uh, until the finale, which we'll talk about a little bit. Um, So... Yeah, I I just I find this fascinating. I find it fascinating that I've heard from so many different people, so many completely varying reactions to this piece. Uh, and some of it is negative and some of it is positive. But I love the fact that it's bringing up these conversations in the immersive theater community, because I think 
you know, two years ago, I think everyone was afraid to come out and say, this doesn't work for me. You know, I, I think the community of immersive fans in Los Angeles needs these conversations to take place of what works, what doesn't work, why did it work, why didn't it work for me, and you're not going to please everyone for sure, and that's not what I'm expecting, but I find it interesting that some people walked away so dissatisfied, even if they did a similar track to me, and I've run into that conversation. I think I'm rambling at this point, Mike. Yeah, you are. So anyways, you talked about wanting to prove a point. Uh, and my second time I did too, because I don't know if you remember the last podcast, I went, uh, conspiracy Mike about how it's all connected and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So me being me, uh, my second time through, I wore a hat with the OOA sigil on it and every person I talked to commented on it. Uh, it wasn't a, I, it was more of a, oh, that's a nice hat. What's that mean? You know, it didn't prove that they knew what it was, but at the same time, it proved that there was something there, whether it be in their memory or something they were exposed to, or, you know, even something they may have seen or something, but everyone commented on it. And when they asked me what it was and I would, you know, it was like, oh, it's an organization, blah, blah, blah. And some people were like, oh, cool. But other people's gave me a devilish grin. So there's definitely more. And I'm sure you'll get into this in the finale because I've heard some things. Um, but back to uh, so my, my track, uh, I was on the top. I had parts of the Thomas track as well. And uh, at one point, I went into, I believe, the green room, which we, you would describe where everyone right. um, took a step forward. I went into that room and I had instant flashbacks to the red room of Ascension. Yeah, and it, it was a similar vibe, definitely. And leading that, it was the same thing, that same kind of like arrow, like or pyramid with Sabrina front and center. And I walked in and the door closed and I realized like the scene, I out loud like, you know, it's like, you know how you think to say things and sometimes you don't think you just say them. Right. I walked in, saw that, realized where I was on. And I said, oh, shit. And like, <laughs> I, I like because like all like I was like, I thought I was going to like be murdered or something because <laughs> of the hat and the flashbacks with the OSDM red room I had. And I was like, oh, crap, it's all catching up to me again. Um, but uh I had a, a different scene uh, and Sabrina was in there and, and she spoke to me and that's where I got uh, the coin. And you had mentioned seeing Thomas having a good time with someone and I did as well. And it was very strange for me because the person he was having a good time with was Sabrina. Really? Yeah. And there was part like, you know, we, we've come to know Sabrina over the past couple of years, like as, as an actual person and stuff. So it was really, for me, like even like really emotional. It was because it was like, what are you doing? Like, why him? Like, what, what, come on, you're better than this. Like there's, you know, like it, like all of those thoughts were going through my mind. Wait, you uh, wanted to protect Sabrina? I didn't say that. Oh, okay. That's what it I sounded said, like. No, she just had a better, she had a, could have better taste than men. Oh, okay. Um, But 
it was just, and it was just really like strange because you like this is my friend in this position literal position and it's like um why why are you doing this like you're so much better than this like you don't need to do this you know that kind of thing and I actually questioned her about it because we had time alone later on in the night and I and I asked her and she just said it's like you know what it's it's he's there for what he's there for and it doesn't matter to me. It's like, I'm just here. I'm just having a good time or, you know, something along those lines where basically like she was using him and I was like, okay, I can respect that. And, but it was just, it was just very shocking. Um, If I'm, I'm hoping that I'm connecting these dots correctly because that scene took me by surprise and um, I didn't really interact with the woman in that room. Uh, and basically, uh, to say a little bit more about that room, it was, you know, Thomas and, you know, I walked into this room, Thomas and this woman obviously were very affectionate toward each other, uh, would be the way I'm going to leave that hanging in the air. And uh, I, at first, didn't register who it was, but later I encountered that woman again, and she was one of the people who wanted to know if I was willing to support the theater and defend the theater. So obviously she was having a good time. She seemed to be having a good time during that sequence. Uh, you know, I didn't feel anyone was being taken advantage of. So yeah, I, I definitely had a different scene from you for, for that and a different take on that because it wasn't, Sabrina was not present the night that I went back. So what happened at the finale? Uh, at the finale, uh, and, and by the way, the coin that Mike mentioned earlier is several people were given coins. I received a coin um, my second trip through, uh, I, and I think I received it when I made it clear that I was willing to defend the theater and what it stood for. Uh, I, I believe that that was probably the reason they gave me the coin. I got the invitation. There was an invitation that went out um, that people with coins could come back for a finale show. And uh, it was basically midnight on the final night of their run. And in a nutshell, I have seen people post on social media and talk about, oh my God, the finale was this, you know, transformative, revelational exploration. It was this epiphany. It was, it was none of that for me. But it was this, Mike. It was a solid ending for me. Even though there's questions, even though there's and 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 this is this was the structure of the evening. We were invited to the theater. There was sort of an executioner mask, which it's funny. Everyone started calling it the executioner mask. It wasn't that to me. It was one of the um, drama and comedy masks for a theater. So I never saw it as an executioner's mask. Uh, some people, I think, called it that because um, there were deaths during the course of the run of characters, and usually the person committing the act uh, was wearing a mask. And I think that's why some people start calling it the executioner's mask. It, to me, it was always a drama or comedy mask. Uh, I was hugged by someone in a robe and that mask when I first entered and given a personal message and sent on my way. And so I walked in and we walked into the theater, Mike, and the entire cast was circling us. They were, they were all around the room. They were around the walls. They were on the stage. Um, they were in the back of the room. So we all came in 
and an announcement was made and the announcement was our theater is open you can go anywhere you want and you can talk to anyone you want so for about an hour we were able to talk to any character that we had encountered the entire run I'm going to just give you an overview of the finale. And then midway through, we were also given the instruction that if you hear bells ringing, come back to the theater. So after about an hour, I believe, bells started to ring and we all formed back in the theater. And they put all of the patrons on stage. And all of the characters were in the audience looking at us. And obviously there were some people who were extremely uncomfortable and were trying to fill the space with talk. And were trying to talk to the characters and... I, I I kind of found that humorous because I thought it was much more intense just standing there silently with all of the characters looking at us on stage. Darren Bousman, the director of this event, uh, came forward and, you know, without a mask and said, I want to thank all of you for supporting Theater Macabre. I want you to talk about it, good or bad, um, how it made you feel, good or bad, because that's important. And that goes to part I was talking about earlier about I'm glad that the conversations good and bad are happening about this show and he said for the next portion of the evening you can come down and you can talk to us no characters just us so for about another hour we were able to just talk to the actors talk to the performers and I thought that was a huge gift and because I found, you know, actually, I, I think Thomas kind of ran into me more than I ran into him. Uh, and Thomas thanked me for something that I said in the scene that we were just talking about. And he said, I will always remember that moment. And I, you know, and he thanked me for what I brought into the sequence. You know, I was able to talk briefly to Isabella. I was able to talk to, I just kind of said hello um, unfortunately, uh, I found out one of the actors was injured and left immediately. And one of the actors I wanted to talk to was the person who, um, was kind of the cleanup man my first night after somebody got accidentally killed or I accidentally got someone killed. Let me put it that way. <laughs> and, uh, I wanted to say hello to him. He wasn't around, but I was able to just kind of talk now during this mic, uh, there were a couple of moments when people seemed to drop back in and out of character, and there were little mini scenes going on, apparently, for some people. I didn't necessarily get any of that. I just was able to talk to characters, roam around. I went up to the balcony, which I had never been in. There's a balcony that overlooks the stage. I don't know if you ever went up into that area. Yep. That was cool. Um, checked out the area where the actors lived. It was like it was it was a nice exploration. And it was, I thought, a really nice gift to those of us who had been a couple of times or multiple times. And I, I just thought it was a good solid ending. I will say this about uh, that. That was sort of like the last hour, my first hour. Um, uh, as I was, I didn't know who I wanted to talk to first when they were all in character and we could talk to any character we wanted to. And my second time through, I told you that at the beginning I had had a conversation with Francis yeah. And I had asked him about a bandage that he had. It, I, I had one of those moments where I walked away from him and I went, oh, man, I thought of the perfect thing to say three minutes later, you know, like after the conversation was over. So at the finale, uh, I saw him sort of like walking out of the room. He was carrying a satchel. And so I saw him and I kind of followed him for a second and our eyes met and he greeted me and I greeted him and I said, hey, 
you know, I forgot to tell you something. Can I say it now? And he said, well, sure. And, you know, I told him what I wanted to tell him. And I said, I, I thought of it after we spoke last time. So I was in that hallway out in front when you first walk up, Mike. And I don't know if you remember, but there's a bench that runs the length of that hallway. So he just gestured and he said, do you want to sit down and talk? Absolutely, I would love to sit down and talk because I spent no time with you and you gave me a wonderful story. And um, he, I, I, I mentioned the satchel and the stuff that he was carrying and he said, well, I'm still kind of on the clock. And I said, we started drawing parallels between each other about how hard we work. We both work in creative fields and we started to sort of bond and I asked him, I said, well, you know what? You know, it's like you gave me something really special last time I was here. Is there anything that I can do for you? And he said, you know what? There is. And then the porno music started. <laughs> and he said, would you give me a story? Because I work with stories. And I said, so do I. That's what I do for a living is I help create stories. And he said, I work with stories all the time. And then because we had kind of bonded over certain similarities we shared about how we approach work, how we approach life, um, I gave him a story. I told him a story from my real life because what he asked me specifically is he said, give me a story from your own life where you didn't stand up for yourself or protect what was needing to be protected in your own world. And I gave him a story because immediately something came to mind. It's actually a story that you know about me, Mike. And I gave him a brief version of that and, and he seemed moved and he said, I totally see where your personality, you know, led you down that path and why you have that in your past. And we started talking about the future and changes we'd like to make. And this was the interesting part for me, Mike, is he took everything that I said and he sort of turned it back on me. And he started encouraging me to change certain things about myself. He started in like, be careful here because I know you well enough. I know I have the same traits. This is where you will compromise yourself. This is where you won't defend yourself. And the person holding you back the most is always going to be you. Keep pushing forward. Keep thinking about this. Keep it in your mind. And so at one point we stood up. And this conversation became so intense that literally two people who were also at the finale event, Mike, have contacted me since and said, I want to know what you were talking about with Francis. And I said, why do you want to know that? He said, because I passed you and whatever was going on between you two looked so freaking intense. We were apparently inches away from each other's face having this conversation. So this this guy took something from my story with him, created an entire sequence, created a sort of a path that we bonded on and we connected with and gave me this incredibly intense sequence, completely improv. It's not improv, dude. He has the OSDM files on you. <laughs> well, maybe. All right. So... But that, for me, is, that's immersive events, immersive theater firing on all cylinders. I am so appreciative of that moment. And it truly was 
for the finale, that conversation was the highlight for me. I I would have paid $150 to have that conversation. It was so good and it was so intense. That's awesome. Plus, he was probably stoked that you were out of the dungeon finally. <laughs> no, um, what happened to my resume, Francis? <laughs> so for for me, that was that was a wonderful capper for this entire event. And I have a moment from my first evening, you know, when I had a very quiet conversation with one of the performers, the the moment where I told Thomas I wanted to be like him, that moment. Uh, so each, each time I went, I had a highlight, but I think for the entire thing that that, that conversation with Francis was so intense and we were making in sexual innuendo jokes. We were like, we were sort of, we were bonding on a bro level, but we were, he was also deadly serious and sincere about being there for me as much as I wanted to be there for him. And like, that was the beauty of the immersive theater moment. That was like, I am connecting and this is a hundred percent real. It doesn't feel real. This is real. And that was the most intense moment for me during the entire run of theater macabre. So I have a question for you. What were the, what was the highlights for you? during your couple of times through probably what what i talked about uh the the three like specific scenes from my second time um the green room the saving the girls like actually having having them make a plan on how to escape with my help and then the the sabrina and thomas scene okay that, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that that sequence with Thomas, um, partially because of how I chose to react, uh, that that room where they challenged me, but also for me, the follow-up where I was able to say, you know what? Screw everyone else. This needs to stand. This needs to be protected. Well, and another thing, too, um, I'm assuming you, did you have to sign the paperwork on the, the catwalk? Yes, I did. Okay, so Sabrina called me over to do that as as well. And there were, you had two choices, one to either sign an NDA or to um, sign up for the foundation. And it, it, it's just funny because, because of the past and because of history and because of knowledge, her first words were, we know you're not going to keep your mouth shut. So the NDA is out. And it was just, it was just so, it was so perfect and so funny. Um, and that can be taken so many different ways. Like one, the podcast, obviously, but two, because I wouldn't be the type of person to just, I would want to do more, uh, which the foundation is about. Um, but having that like alone time with her and that just being able to talk and, you know, that's where I asked her about the the previous room. Like, why? Like, what are you doing? Like, you could be running this show. Like, why are you like, what are you doing? You know, and she's like, you think, you know, everything like there's so much more that you don't know. And I was like, I want in teach me, you know, like that kind of stuff. And it just like I felt like my second time through, I felt more aggressive in that aspect instead of le- letting things uh, happen or letting things come to me is I I didn't have an agenda, but I had an agenda. It's like, I'm going to say exactly what I want to say and to who I want to say and whatever goals. And I think that's the biggest thing. That's okay. That's something I, I meant to bring up earlier. So you mentioned, you asked me the question, like, how can people, you know, like it or not, you know, whatever 
you said for the like 40 minutes you spoke about it. Um, <laughs> but I just find it interesting that some people didn't become as engaged as we did. Well, one of the things that I realized, and this is in my second time through, it wasn't the story about theater macabre. It was about your story and how you are progressing. And when I looked at it like that, it changed everything for me. Like it wasn't a show going to see a show. It was me doing something. And I don't know if that, that makes sense, but you know, because I kept thinking I was the plot line. So how am I going to further my story and doing it that way? I got so much more out of it because with that mentality, that's what made me be more aggressive and ask questions. I probably wouldn't usually ask or, you know, things like that, whatever it took to make my story move forward. That's an interesting way of looking at it. I did not think of it in those terms, but as I said earlier, when I connected with Thomas and I made the decision of, I'm going to try to keep up with him because he's not someone I would hang with normally it's a similar decision. It's like, how am I moving my story forward? So when I got pulled out and shown that, 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 that choice, that piece of paper that like, would you put your signature on this? Uh, Amber was the person who did it with me. Um, and it was very funny because they had, uh, very deliberately given me a moment, uh, where they asked me to drink and I did. And I am such a lightweight that I had to stop that scene for a moment. Why would you drink anything that's involved <laughs> in any of these shows? Didn't you learn anything um, from the OOA? I had an entire room full of people, and one of them said, what are you drinking? And I had to choose. You didn't have to. That's where you're wrong. Oh, all right, then fine. I chose. And uh, yeah, they poured me a drink, and I I was asked to make a toast. And so, And I think that was a you were just talking about your own story, what I made a toast to when I also met the, the, the big man, the man upstairs, the man at the top, the guy who runs everything. It's like, he challenged me. Why are you here? And I said that I wanted to be supportive. I, I told him I was there for the darkness because I think the darkness is important. And I was starting to make choices at that point. And I think that's similar. To what you're saying is how do you move your own plot line forward? I was doing that, but I, I wasn't doing, I didn't, it wasn't a conscious choice. It was me in the moment, but I, it was similar to what you just said. So where do you stand on the conspiracy? Is it connected in your opinion? Well, here's the thing. Uh, some people apparently at the end of the finale, some of us were led out to the street and apparently there were a couple of private scenes. It was a yes or no question. Well, I've heard rumors that what say. What do you think right now? without giving a whole backstory of what everyone else thinks or says. I think that it's unlikely that they are firmly connected. You're crazy and wrong. So now, okay. you, now you can tell your story. All right. There was a, I found an, oh my God, I didn't say this. I found an OOA processing room photo that Miles took in the room with, with, um, all right. With Katrina. So they're completely ta- they're completely connected. <laughs> I think so. But I mean, I, there there's is, no I, reason for that to be there. I think there's a connection, but, you know, and also like somebody got uh, one of the private scenes apparently alluded to a whole Carnival of Souls idea that these are all people trapped in this universe. 
hmm. and the, all the universes are connected. I think that's interesting. But I, I, you know, for me, it's like there is some connection, yes, but I don't. I don't know. I'm I I'm so confused at this point. I don't know at this point. Yeah. <laughs> So, but I, I still, I stand by what I've said. I think I kind of said this in the last podcast. I think theater macabre is important. I understand why it didn't work for everyone. And I understand why some people would have walked away feeling disappointed if their tracks got confused or whatever. And I, and as, you know, looking at this as a creative event, I, I honestly believe there should be some way inside of I wish there was a way that you could you could sign up for. There, you're more interested in a show than the sandbox to play in, but that's defeating the purpose. I think of what they're creating, but I, I think that would have made some people happier. It just frustrates me when I hear people walk away dissatisfied from this event, um, because I really think that this was an achievement. Oh, it is. But who knows how their show really went? They can say something happened and it's like, oh, well, this or that. But like, were they being as like interactive and forward as you could have been? Or were they sheepishly just waiting or or just standing around? You know what I mean? I'm trying to figure that out. And I've and I've got kind of gotten a whole range of spectrum of and, you know, and I talked to one person who hated it, but I think she went in wanting to hate it. Mm hmm. I can't relate to that, but the the people who are frustrated with tracks and things like that, I, it just disappoints me because I really got something very valuable. Well, why are you disappointed? It's not your show. Like, why does it matter? Because okay. I want this to be successful and I want it to return. Oh, I do too. But none of that's your concern. I know. I, I'm not saying that it has anything to do with me. <laughs> then why does it matter to you? I'm just saying that I want this to succeed and I want more people to play in this sandbox and have fun playing in this sandbox because yeah, i want but that's up to, to them you can want it all you want but you know i always but if I those want people this... are not going to buy a ticket to the next event and they're not going to but there'll be a whole new crop of people that will maybe there will be it's la okay people drop in and out every day <laughs> all right um but again like uh, you know i i had similar highlights and that that conversation with francis at the finale was worth the entire run that was yeah that was amazing so um so yeah so anyway (laughs) and for more information on theater macabre you can find them on the web at theater-macabre.com on facebook look up the tension experience on instagram blood on the mezzanine and on twitter theater macabre and the number one um i don't know if anything will happen with theater macabre but it's worth it to to keep tabs on them because who knows anything can happen so after theater macabre i packed up and went east but while i was going east you did a bunch of other things yeah uh one of the cool things mike is last year one of the sad things that happened in the los angeles area is a really well-known family-friendly beloved haunt called boney island sort of had to go away because they they kind of outgrew the neighborhood where they were well actually boney island found a home this year and it was right next door to the ghost train which is something we talked about last year i went to last year um and i unfortunately the night i went to boney island the ghost train wasn't open i wanted to do both of them the same night uh but boney island found a home next to the ghost train in the griffith park area 
Oh, very cool. So Boney Island is this wonderful... It, it's all the happy stuff you remember about Halloween from as being a kid. It's goofy skeletons doing goofy things. Being that it's called Boney Island, everything is almost everything I will say is skeleton based. So they have animal skeletons, human skeletons. They had a little walk through safari area, like a zoo park with all animal skeletons posed. And, um, Oh wait, so this isn't not the bony Island that like that movie you randomly downloaded from that website. (laughs) No, no. Okay. Different bone. Um, so Russell, (laughs) you went there. (laughs) Yeah, but I, no, I just drove it home. Um, so anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, yeah. Um, wow. So much for the family friendly portion. Uh, yeah, it's a family friendly haunt. The thing, Mike is, uh, have you, have you ever been to the home haunt of Boney Island? I have not. Ah, okay. The, the advantage for them now is they have lots of space and they spread it out and it's this wonderful sort of carnival feel and layout where you can walk from scenario to scenario and it's a it's a large layout. They had a fun like dancing fountain show, which was hosted by a skeleton, um, uh, kind of like the maestro who conducted the music and and conducted the fountains dancing and uh, uh, did some classical well known um, music that you know like Night on Bald Mountain that sort of vibe and uh, a couple of other things that you would recognize. Uh, all of these uh, little vignettes that you walked past, uh, they were all sort of. Um, using wires and animatronic stuff, uh, the skeletons were, were sort of repeating actions or whatever. They're all magic themed. So they were, you know, skeletons performing magic tricks that went completely awry and uh, very comedy based, very fun, lots lots of bone puns and skeleton puns. Uh, so it was, it, it's, it, there were just tons of happy kids running around, like being delighted, not scared. So Boney Island, I'm so happy that they came back. I'm so happy that they found this home. I hope this becomes a yearly thing next to Ghost Train because it is the perfect companion to Ghost Train. You know, one of the things that I really miss and really wish they were around and something you said made me have hope, but, you know, they outgrew the neighborhood. Um, One of the home haunts that I loved uh, coming to California and it kind of... Actually, I think that one is the one that set the standard in my mind that home haunts were even better than theme parks um, was Sherwood Scare. Mm -hmm. And Sherwood Scare has been dark for maybe the last three years. And I believe it was for the the reason it outgrew the neighborhood. But I seriously, that's probably the, the best home haunt I've ever been to. And it's a shame that they're not around. So. I know they were trying to do something for a while, but I don't know if they just gave up. But man, I, yeah. w- I wish they, they went this route somehow. Uh, I, I remember that. Uh, I remember that that haunt. I went a couple of years in a row. Um, yeah, I, I I was so happy when Boney Island made this announcement. And uh, like I said, theme wise, I think it's the perfect companion to Ghost Train because it is very family friendly. Um and, and and like I said, it, just the fact that it's all magic-themed uh, jokes and vignettes just makes it even more appealing to me. If you'd like to learn more about Boney Island, BoneyIsland.com is the website. You can also look up Boney Island on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter. Now, almost, I believe, the next night, Mike, I went back, and th- this was a surprise to me. I suddenly got an invitation from our friend Dawson. He was going to the Los Angeles Haunted Hayride. And he said, hey, do you want to come along? And I 
work not far from that area. So I was like, yeah, I'll meet you there. Now, here's the thing that's interesting about Los Angeles Haunted Hayride. They've actually changed owners, Mike. I don't know if you realize this. No. Uh, 13th Floor Entertainment Group now owns the Los Angeles Haunted Hayride. Now, if that name rings a bell for any reason, haunters across the country know this company. They run major haunts in like Chicago and Denver and Austin and Phoenix and uh, various other cities. Um, So they're a growing, expanding company uh, that runs haunts in major cities. So they've taken over Los Angeles Haunted Hayride. So this year... The Los Angeles Haunted Hayride was sort of a greatest hits year. Okay. So what they did is they staged favorite scenarios from the past years. Now, the Los Angeles Haunted Hayride has sort of a midway section where they have psychics and they have a a, a carousel with animal skeletons that you can ride. They they do a little thing called Theater Macabre, uh, which is a little stage show, a comedy stage show where they get uh, patrons to act out famous movie scenes. Um, so it's it's kind of have a a very festive carnival feel uh now the and then you get uh you wait in line and you get actually on the back of a tractor trailer bed that's covered with hay and you ride through the griffith park area and you encounter these scenarios with horrific characters that come out and try to scare you they act out a little scene usually and then they're either other characters try to scare you from different directions or it's a really fun festive uh atmosphere and what they did this year is, is like I said, kind of a greatest hits. So it was a couple of things I'd recognized, a couple of things that I had never seen before. They brought back my personal favorite scene I have ever seen at Los Angeles Haunted Hayride, which was the cult sequence from a few years ago. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Which uh, it, it's it's funny. It's amazingly how effective something so simple can be as multiple multiple people turning their head to look at you. And that's the big moment in that is, you know, you think you're just witnessing something and then an entire congregation turns to face you in unison. And it's a great moment. It's a great scare. They brought that back. Um, they also had the um, the murder game show from a couple of years ago. I don't know how long ago that was, but uh, where, you know, you, you rode up on the hayride and they like played a game and people kept dying during the game. Uh, they had the, uh, the, the musician clowns were back. So they did a lot of favorites from the past years. And I will say this, Mike, they also are known for their little mazes that they, you know, if after you've done the hayride or before you've done the hayride, they have a couple of mazes that you can go through. And a few years ago, we talked about trick or treat. They brought Trick or Treat back, and I think we went through it the very first year they did it, Mike, and there were flow problems because it was like one big open area, and the concept is you go trick-or-treating as the patron. Did they give candy this time, or was it still talkies? Uh, No, it was candy. Nice. Yeah, they actually gave you candy. Um, The Well, I should say they also – there were a few tricks. I will not say what you were given, but there were a few tricks along the way too. Uh what they did that was really nice is they actually made it more of a maze. So the doorways were hidden from each other, which the when we did this previously, it wasn't. So it was up to the patrons to kind of traffic flow themselves, kind of like, like you know, control the flow themselves. So if they sensed someone was trick-or-treating in front of them before they turned a corner, you could stop and let that play out before you went. 
Uh, it was a vastly improved maze, and the scenarios were so much fun and so cool. And the other one, the the one that they're also known for, is they always do some sort of a dark maze, which is an actual literal maze, and they brought back. It was called the House of Shadows. Uh, that was so much fun because they had characters hidden in that had a little bit of light in their costuming. So you would turn a corner and they would like walk toward you or they would appear around a corner and suddenly you're in complete darkness uh, with some like creature with a lit costume coming towards you. A lot, and it is an actual maze. You get lost in that thing, and you can get lost and separated from your friends for quite some time. So Los Angeles Haunted Hayride was sort of... It wasn't anything spectacular this year. It was good, standard, fun. But the exciting thing to me looking at them is there's some fresh blood behind the scenes. Uh, they're looking at what to do in the future. This was a greatest hits year. So, you know, they wanted to sort of maintain what was successful in the past, I believe. Um, and in they're looking to grow and expand in the future, I'm sure. So it'll be interesting to see where Los Angeles Hayride goes in the future. So even though this year, I, I can't say there was anything super new and nifty about it other than the improvements in the mazes, uh, let's check in next year and see how they do. Well, it's interesting to me that it got sold or there's new owners because how many mazes were there? Only two this year. And in the past, there's been like, including the Hayride, there's been about five or so, right? I don't think it's been that much. I, there was one year I know there were three. Including Hayride? Yeah. No, not including Hayride. There were like three yeah. mazes and the Hayride. Okay. So there's at least four, four or five. But it makes me wonder if in the future they'll have the budget because hayride had that sweet sweet shark tank money right and you know chances are i mean shark tank you know they want to invest and get their money back so i wonder if them selling they got all their money back but oh i have no idea you know oh i wasn't asking you i'm just <laughs> it was rhetorical um sorry but i'll shut up as now. far as producing the haunt if you don't have that sweet money i don't know but if they own multiple haunts across the nation, maybe they do. I don't yeah, know. I, I think there's some, hopefully there's some bank behind them. And, and you know, But for that ticket price, give us more. Because that's what you're used to. If you're yeah, used and to, the, like, I believe the ticket prices went up this year. Yeah, so if you're used to four mazes and, and it's like, oh, there's one less or two less mm -hmm. and it's more expensive. Let's see what happens in the future. Yes, let's. Right. So uh, for information on Los Angeles Haunted Hayride, uh, you can check them out on the web at losangelushauntedhayride.com. And Facebook, it is LA Haunted Hayride. And that also goes for Instagram, LA Haunted Hayride. For Twitter, look up Los Angeles Haunt. So, Mike, I went from haunt to theatrical after that. Shocking. <laughs> so more theatrical stuff. And uh, Force of Nature Productions is, we talked about them recently from Fallen Saints, which is their yearly fall offering, sort of pre-haunt season this year. And they also ran, brought it back. Um, they, they brought Dark back uh, during the haunt season. They produced a play, which uh, was not horror but it was really dark in nature and it was a world premiere uh i think there had been a workshop of the play before but um uh, there's a reason i want to bring this up uh, i thought it was a wonderful show uh i loved the premise and that's what drew me in and the premise was three people waiting in the middle of a forest next to a large hole which they have just dug and they're waiting for a phone call to tell them when a certain package would arrive that they need to dispose of. 
How's that for a premise? But why would they need a phone call if the package is being delivered? Probably to find out where they are exactly in the forest. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> I'm just going with that. Uh, it's called Gray People. And here's the thing. It was written by, and I am going to destroy this name, and I apologize in advance. It was written by a man named Kerry Kazmierowicz-Trim. Or <laughs> Kerry Kazmierowicz-Trim. How about Kerry K? Kerry K. <laughs> okay, we'll go with that. And the reason I wanted to mention this, because unfortunately this is closing before this podcast will be out, but uh, we spoke really highly of a show called Wounded from the Hollywood Fringe Festival earlier this year. Carrie is the same person who wrote Wounded, and Wounded won numerous awards at the Hollywood Fringe Festival, uh, including uh, Top of the Fringe, uh, Female Director of Distinction, a Fringe First, uh, the an, an Unleashed Award, whatever that is. I'm not sure what that is even. Uh, and it got so much attention and so much praise that it was actually invited to a festival in New York. And it's actually going to run in New York uh, in December, I believe. Oh, very cool. So the other reason I kind of wanted to bring all of this together is Carrie... Kerry K, let's say. He is a, he also wrote one of the pieces at Wicked Lit. Wow, he gets around. So he th- this is he's a really good writer. His dialogue, for example, in in Great People, I think the the appeal for me is it's such an odd situation because these people know that they're doing something which is probably illegal, but because of the job that they're doing, they're not given any details. And it's a fascinating sort of triangle of very different personalities, the gruff silent type there's a person there who is so trusting of everyone he meets that he actually gets himself in trouble by divulging way too much information to everyone he has a conversation with. And then in the midst of that, their working relationship, a third person is thrown in suddenly and they have to deal with this woman who has been assigned to this job, but they don't know why. So it's a it's a whole kind of like dance of changing trusts of who can trust who and who might be double crossing who it plays like a thriller the two guys in the play have been working together for several years disposing of stuff for this mysterious person who's going to call and now that they've had this third person sort of assigned to their team they don't know if this is going to be a worse job than usual why do they need the extra help why is this a woman suddenly being assigned to do this digging job uh, to dispose of some mysterious package that's going to arrive in the middle of the forest at some point during the night? And at first, it's a very tense scenario. And one of them tries to dominate the situation by the guy says, we can't share any personal information. And it's, you know, plausible denial scenario. And his buddy is so taken with the new person on the team, and he's so happy to have a new face to talk to, that he starts spilling the beans on so many things that they've done that causes tension between the friendship that's been established for a few years. So all of this is, is it's just raising the tension. Every time that they try to have a conversation, somebody's trying to shut it down, somebody's trying to share more than they need to, and somebody's trying to figure out what the relationship is between the two guys. So there's all of this weird tension building. I really enjoyed Great People a lot. I think it was a really fun show. Force of Nature, like I said, uh, it's like they've done such strong work in the past. This is a straight drama that plays like a thriller uh i hope this run either extends or comes back uh because i think this is a worthy thing that that i i I say that a lot about a lot of stuff but i think for horror fans this is uh horror fans that may not love theater this would be a good intro drug because it's plays like a thriller and 
at the end, of course, you know, as in many thrillers, many many motivations are revealed near the end, and it and it turns really. There's there's some twists near the end that I did not see coming and thought were totally surprising, and really, one of the characters becomes absolutely fascinating for me. I just I just really 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 enjoyed this show. So you've been to quite a few uh, Force of Nature's things like recently. It seems like you've gone to something like once a week. Yeah, like, the, the Fallen Saints was, I, I think we talked about it in the last podcast. So because this show was written by someone else, could you, was it still in like a Force of Nature style? Could you tell a difference? Could you tell it was someone else like from outside? Like Th- this was, this was a little bit darker in tone. And Sebastian Muniz, who we have mentioned before on the show, directed this show. So, and he is one of the forces behind Force of Nature. And uh, it, I I actually think I said this, um, I said this in when I, I wrote a review for this and threw it up on the website because I, I really wanted horror fans to discover this play. And I said in that review, Force of Nature has been doing dependable work in so many different genres. And there, that's a blessing and a curse, because people don't know what to expect from you, but you're experimental. Uh, even if you're rough around the edges, you're still good. But sometimes their shows are more comedic than they are dramatic. Sometimes they're horror. Sometimes they're straight drama. Sometimes they're thriller-esque. Um, they're, they're known for what they're called their rush shows. They do shows that are put up very, very fast, and they sometimes... You know, people who haven't had a chance to write or direct or act before get a chance to do short pieces. So this is a company that is really trying to get a lot of work up and running fast. And they're trying to do good quality work and experimental work. I think that's the key. They're willing to experiment in any genre. And I think that's the cool thing about Force of Nature. And also, to be totally honest, they're located very close to me. So it's very easy for me to get to their shows between work and home or whatever. So it's worked out a couple of times where it's like, hey, I can squeeze this in because it's literally five minutes away from me. Um, And in Los Angeles, location can be a factor. Location is everything, apparently. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, they're, they're a company that does work in many, many different genres. And this felt different than any other piece, I think, that I've seen from them. Uh, for one thing, it's actually one of the most realistically staged pieces. They did a great job with the set, uh, uh, creating the forest setting. Um, it, it it was less stylized. It was more naturalistic than a lot of the stuff I've seen from them. I think that was a really nice turn for them to take. So uh, to keep an eye on Force of Nature, because they're constantly doing stuff. I know they have Christmas stuff coming up. They do a lot of work. They're an interesting company. Look them up on the web at fonproductions.com. On Facebook, it's fonprods. And on Instagram, it is also fonprods. And the same goes for Twitter, fonprods. Remember when we were talking about Fallen Saints and I made a joke about my last name and and them, like Fawn? Yes. So I think if I ever made a production company, it could be Fonduction. A fun, it's really? Fonduction production. Fonduction productions. <laughs> okay. You're really amused by that, aren't you? I am. Totally. <laughs> I'm so happy you're happy. <laughs> Do you ever get those random moments where something is said and something clicks inside your head about another thought? Yes. Okay. 
Something you said uh, right before talking about great people made me think about our conversation we just had about the, about theater macabre. Mm-hmm. Um, you had said you went from haunt to theater, yeah. and for some reason that clicked with me because because there's a people that may have not have enjoyed it or you know whatever people are telling you and the difference of opinions and everything. But I wonder if it comes down to being scared. You're in October. You go to haunts to be scared. You go, you go to horror to be scared. And, you know, I'm not like I got scared in one scene because it reminded me of something that happened in the past with the OSDM. But I wonder if most people that are going there aren't scared. The murders are done in a humorous way. Like, you know, and maybe that's what's missing from the more theater things is being scared, getting frightened. Oh, interesting. Just because of the season? Yeah. Interesting point. Because if if Theater Macabre was like done in April, would it have the same reaction? You know what I mean? Like I'm not sure. It was also rhetorical. You didn't have to answer that one either. (laughs) I'm missing all the cues apparently on on the social side. Uh, So, but you know me, I'm socially awkward. So, Hey. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was just something randomly that came to me. Um, Okay. But yeah. So I was, I was in Massachusetts for like, two and a half weeks and one of the things that we have done it's almost like a tradition well not anymore because i broke it um is we would go and explore as many (laughs) home haunts as we could Mm -hmm. and you were able to go to a bunch i i I went to a few i i found uh i i was also going through some work uh some intense work stuff at the the time that all this was going on i'm counting six so that's more than really was that did i do that many (laughs) Okay, so I did a few. Um, Not all in one night like we've done in the past, uh, but I managed to squeeze in a few after work here and there. Um, And really quickly, I just want to like hit them and and do a thank you to all of these. Anyone who does a home haunt, thank you so much. Thank you for the effort. Thank you for the work. It is appreciated by people who walk by and smile, you know, when they're in the neighborhood or when they're trick-or-treating. Yeah. That's I just want to put that out there. Um, I hit up Rotten Apple 907, which is uh, one of the better known haunts in the Burbank area. And uh, this year it was called Kilpetto's Toy Shop. It's sort of a demented Pinocchio theme. Uh, As usual, Rotten Apple brings great production value, uh, really some effectively timed scares. Uh, the Pinocchio theme worked really well along the lines of sort of a creepy doll theme, which several of the rooms had. Uh, really excellent misdirection on the scares. Even though this is a home haunt that takes, I, I, I think, five to seven minutes to go through, if that, they really do some good misdirection, some jump scares. They they had some animatronic elements that were really nice, uh, including things moving toward you unexpectedly when you were standing in the center of a room. So, yeah, it was really, really fun. Rotten Apple 907, so good every year. Um, and, and just really happy. And that was actually what launched my home haunting this year. They do have a presence online. You can look them up on the web at rottenapple907.com. And you can look them up on Facebook and Twitter at rottenapple907. Something else that I managed to do, Mike, which we have heard about in the past, and this is the first time I've had the chance, and this was one of those nights when I I was running around. I think I ran from Boney Island to this haunt, and it's called The Farm Haunt in Glendale. What's up, Tim? (laughs) So this this was such a wonderful little surprise. 
and great production value. It's sort of a cannibal-ish theme. Uh, it was a farm theme as well, obviously from the farm haunt. Uh, they had a wonderful animatronic farm creature, which I will not be specific about. Um, and you walked in, there was, uh, some mild, the cool thing about this, uh, along with the really great production value is they chose to do some mildly interactive stuff where, uh, the first character I met, you know, we had a conversation with nice and she was very proud of her newborn baby, which she insisted on showing, uh, which uh, did not take after her lovely, lovely mom, I will admit. Um, so there was a couple of scares. I had uh, I was asked to help out during an impromptu surgery scene on someone where I got to hold some, maybe some body organs for the doctor as he was doing his job. So there were some mildly interactive elements to this. The production design was great. Uh, it was just a really quick walkthrough, but really, really fun. And if you want to check out the production design on this, uh, they have a Facebook uh, page called The Farmer Fowler, F-O-W-L-E-R. But really for cool visuals, check out the underscore farm underscore haunt on Instagram. And you'll see some of the production value. There was some lovely, lovely rooms in this thing. So much fun for a home haunt. And and I I said what's up Tim earlier this but I want to give a, a shout out to Tim Fowler who's one of the people behind the farm. Um, he's someone we run into at everything. Yes. Um, Midsummer screams, scare LA, um, the thing like the swap meets, like all of that stuff. And he is one of the people that helps design the Hall of Shadows at Midsummer Scream. And like him and his group, they they just do so much for this scene and there's so much talent and I just want to make sure that gets recognized. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, he was not around. I, I didn't run into him. So I, I, and it just, it was just really, really cool and great production design. It was a really lovely, lovely home haunt. A uh, nice job. Uh, one thing I also did is, and actually our friend Jake pointed this out to me and I was running errands one day on lunch hour and I managed to go do this during my lunch hour from work. Star Maker Costumes is a costume rental shop in uh, Glendale. And I went over there because they sent out an email saying that they had the world's tiniest haunted house in their costume shop. Okay. And what this is, and this was, this was such, this was one of those just, I this was the little 12-year-old kid in me was so happy that I did this. Uh it is a tiny little haunted house sort of escape room thing. It literally takes less than 5 minutes for most people. How long did it take you? <laughs> so I will say I I did not understand the directions at the beginning. So uh you walk in and it's there there's an exterior facade which was decorated quite lovely and lit very well. You're introduced to the story by a character who tells you that you have to go in and it's sort of um, Mrs. Henry is the person who lived in this very, very tiny house. So you go in and she's been laid to rest and she's there in there. There's a coffin in the living room, but you sort of have to complete a couple of tasks to help her move on. So you walk in and you're, you're told what to do and you sort of interact with the environment a little bit, figure out a couple of things that you have to do. And then what happens is kind of a surprise in a couple of places. And then you leave 
and then that that's it. It's it's like a little house. There I will say that I did create a Russell Haunt noise moment at one point. <laughs> was it the world's tiniest Russell Haunt noise? No, it was not. It was a good size. It was a normal size Russell Haunt noise uh for the world's uh smallest uh world's tiniest haunted house. Pardon me. Uh, however, uh, if you go to the Star Maker costume website, you will find that they do plan on bringing this bas- back next year. So, um, and it's free if you do a costume rental with them. And then if you don't do a costume rental, they suggest a, uh, like a $5 donation. So uh, it was awesome. It, it was just, it was just a, one of those pleasant little surprises like, oh, this is so cute. Was that pun intended? No, it wasn't actually. Okay. If you want a little bit more information, because Star Maker Costumes is open year round, you can look them up on the web at starmakercostumes.com. You can look them up on Facebook at Star Makers Costumes and also on Instagram, Star Makers Costumes. And you'll see a couple of images on there of what they offer. And uh, hopefully next year you'll have a chance to see the world's tiniest haunted house. And Mike, near me, like literally a mile away from me, is the Van Oaks Cemetery, which is not a walkthrough in any way. It's just, and here's another thing, which I I love these when they they crop up in my neighborhood. Uh, It's a yard display, and it's a creepy graveyard yard display. It's just a good, solid, cool visual. Uh, You go there, and there's there's a little radio that turns on and off. There's things lurking in the windows of the house. The graveyard is really well-lit. Uh, the tombstones are beautiful and it's, it's just a yard display that is so, so very cool. And the cool thing about this, you can look them up on the Facebook, on the, the Facebook, on the Facebook, (laughs) sorry, you can look them up on Facebook at Van Oaks Cemetery. And also, uh, there is a YouTube video that does a wonderful job of showing you the care and the detail uh, of the tombstones, of the things that they have in the yard, the the kind of ghostly radio that turns on and off, and you see the things lurking in the windows. There's a good representation on YouTube of what the Van Oaks Cemetery looks like, and I was really happy to find that. And I think, basically, uh, Mike, uh, uh, not you, Mike, uh, Mike, who used to build with us for Evil Twin Studios when I worked with them a few years ago, I went to his little uh, yard display. He had one as well. And uh, what did you end up doing on Halloween night, Mike? I went to see Sleepy Hollow at Sturbridge Village. Which we will talk about in a little bit. Mm -hmm. Well, that was supposed to be one of the nights that I was going to be looking at home haunts. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so Todd, who also is one of the main guys with Evil Twin Studios, I heard that he was going to do a home haunt. So I kind of dropped by the night before and got in and, and yes definitely he was doing a home haunt and you know i saw kind of the facade of it and i went back on halloween night and uh, early in the evening and i went through his home haunt todd's street is near the uh the mike uh, the michael myers house from yeah. the original halloween it's out in that area of pasadena so they shut down his street for Halloween and is taken over by literally thousands of trick or treaters. So I, you know, I went up, I'd never seen that area on Halloween night before. It's insane. So many cool costumes. And I had a great encounter with a Michael Myers <laughs> because I was wearing, I had a black hoodie on, but I had the Halloween t-shirt that I have that I often wear and it was underneath. And so Michael Myers walked up 
and poked me in the chest and he poked the Halloween shirt. And did you tell him that he did not have consent because you didn't <laughs> sign a waiver to no. be touched? <laughs> so um, he poked me in the chest and I looked down and I, and, and I kind of nodded and I smiled and he sort of nodded his approval. And so what I did is I had, uh, actually it was a gift from you. I had a Halloween pin on my hoodie. So I showed him that. And he kind of showed me his knife because it was a really great prop knife. Uh, it was actually kind of oversized, so it was really effective. And it was painted a really nice paint job with blood on it. So then I had another Halloween pin that was kind of like hidden. You're such a nerd. Oh, I am a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Wearing a Halloween shirt on Halloween with a Halloween pin. Two, two Halloween Two pins. Halloween pins. And like... this was the Halloween four pin with the knife. Uh -huh. um, so, And I showed him that. And he kind of took a step back and he did that like, oh, no, you didn't, <laughs> so, which is really funny coming from Michael Myers. And he reached down and he took the, the edge of his sleeve and he pulled his sleeve up his arm full, like the forearm, full standing tattoo of Michael Myers. Nice. On his forearm. And I just kind of put my hands on it. You win. <laughs> <laughs> so that was nice. Um, but yeah, it was just a really funny Michael Myers encounter. And, and if that Michael Myers by any chance is listening to this podcast, thank you so much for that moment. It was awesome. So I went through this and what Todd did is Todd created a home haunt where he did like classic Halloween scene, Halloween scenes from horror movies. He did a vampire room. He did, he did a Michael Myers room. He did a uh, kind of a leather face cannibal room. He did a haunted forest room. He did a hallway of skeletons and all this. So I'm going through and I turn, I go through this sort of hallway of skeletons and I turn a corner and there's a skeleton at the end of a very narrow passageway. And as I'm walking forward, the skeleton like reaches its arms up and pulls me in and hugs me. And in my ear, I hear someone whisper, there's one costume out and back. You should go and put it on now. <laughs> you know you want to. <laughs> so what ended up happening is I went through the rest of the haunt and I checked in uh, with some of the crew and I ended up putting on a skeleton costume and scaring people for three hours on Halloween night. Nice. So that was awesome. And you want to know the thing that I learned? Sure. I or not learned the thing that I'd forgotten. How sore you are. How hard haunting is. <laughs> <laughs> because I did the whole, um, I, I was at the end of the Hall of Skeleton. I kind of took that monster's place who, who hugged me. Uh, and so I would peek around a corner and like scare people because they were walking toward a strobe light. And then they would notice that there's someone moving around at the end of the strobe light. And I was that scare. So I was, I was basically doing squats and lunges for three hours. I totally forgot how physical haunting can be because <laughs> the next day I was so sore. You know, it's a whole, you know, like you lower your gravity to create a different, you know, haunting tips, you know, like lower or raise your center of gravity and that unnerves people. Okay. You know what I'm talking about, right? No. No. <laughs> like, I never got into the psychology of haunting. I would just scare people. Okay. Let me digress for a moment. We, everything that we deal with in our normal lives is almost always eye level. You're looking at people. You're talking to people. If you sit down, if you sit down at a restaurant, if you sit down, you're, you're, <laughs> Mike is creeping around his microphone now. Is it working? It's We're working. Not at I'm, eye level. I'm extremely unnerved by you right now. <laughs> How about now? Yes. I'm even more unnerved. So, so what happens is if you, in a haunt, if something approaches you from lower 
or higher than you normally would interact with something, it, it it causes you to be unnerved. And it's it's a very subtle thing, but it does make you stop and like, oh, I'm not used to something coming at me from that direction. And so, uh, so you change your center of gravity because we're so used to things at eye level. You sit down at your desk and you look at your computer approximately at eye level. You deal with people walking down the hallway at work at eye level. So you're used to, no matter, even if you're sitting or standing, you're used to looking forward. So if something comes at you from waist level or the ground or above you or even just slightly one head taller, it unnerves you immediately. And you know who's a master of this? The Freakling Brothers, the trilogy of terror in Vegas. How many of their scares come at you from odd angles? Mm. So it's like, it's just, it's a, it's a haunting tip that, that, that just works really, really effectively, but it's really a kind of a subtle psychological trick. So you're saying super tall people and little people are unnerving yes, to, to I'm the majority saying of people. Yes, okay. I am. And I stand by that. Got it. So, <laughs> Send so the hate all mail. the tall people <laughs> that we know and all the shorter people, please go talk to Russell. Okay. <laughs> so this has been Haunting Tips with Russell. Okay. <laughs> I feel like anyway. there should have been a record scratch right there. <laughs> oh, I'll put in some like, uh, I'll put in a sound effect, I'm sure. Uh, like this one. See? There. Another sound effect. Yeah. See. That's <laughs> something you can do with audio. All right. Okay. I mean, but that was really fun that I got a chance to scare people for Halloween because I hadn't done that in a couple of years. Yeah. All right. So you were on the East Coast, Mike. Yes. And I was looking for things to do. Uh, before I get into what I do, let me just talk about a few, couple general things. In where I grew up in Western Mass, um, I grew up in Chicopee, which is next to Springfield, Holyoke, Amherst, Northampton, UMass is there, Hampshire College. Uh, apparently, there's a big immersive scene there. Uh, nothing was going on when I was there, but because there's so many colleges, I kind of expected there would be more. There was one haunted house in my in the area, mm-hmm. uh, which I went to called Demented FX. Um, there were there's a I think there was a couple in Boston. Uh, the one I was going to. Uh, was called the ghost ship and they actually had a fire um and so which is really weird because there was the ghost ship fire in oakland yes and so this is actually called the ghost ship like during halloween it's and uh they had a fire and they ended up closing for the rest of the season because oh, of it's it. horrible yeah so i want to say how spoiled we are and by spoiled i mean lucky because there is so much out here uh, and you, it's one of those things where you don't realize it. Like you kind of take it for granted until you go somewhere that doesn't have it and you're searching and searching and searching for something to do. And it's like, oh, cool. There's one thing. And the last day is oh, they're open is the Sunday before Halloween. They're oh, wow. not even open on Halloween, you know, so there's it's just it's 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 really strange because we're so used to the last two weeks before Halloween, it's most some things are non are open every night until Halloween, you know, and it was just it was very different. But Demented FX, that's all you needed because it was that good. It's in Holyoke, and I want to show you something on the website that you may not see because you have to scroll down all the way to the bottom. So I'm giving Russell a laptop right now. So scroll all the way to the bottom and read what it says. And you'll know when you get there. There are no refunds. Wait. <laughs> In the mic. <laughs> I also love the logo. That they yeah. Have. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the final thing they say in sort of the frequently asked questions area is, 
no clowns, no touching. Yep. Sorry, Dawson. <laughs> and they have a lovely little clown head with a slash through it, proving that there are no clowns. That's very funny. But this haunted house, in you had mentioned, like we mentioned it earlier today, but you had mentioned in the last podcast that you hope that the traditional haunted house doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. It is alive and well in this one. First of all, it was a continuous story through the whole thing. And the reason I'm saying that is because it was a 25-minute walkthrough. What? Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. 25, and I think um, Reign of Terror is around 25 minutes. Yeah, I think so, yeah. But Reign of Terror is set up with different stories throughout, like maybe like five or six. This was a continuous story through the whole thing. And the story was you were going through this hospital and you had to get to, I believe, the fourth floor to find the doctor who had the serum because, of course, there's a zombie outbreak. Um, (laughs) And it's over. I'm going to spoil it. The doctor's evil and he sent you on a wild goose chase. That's the end of it. But everything that you and I love about haunts, everything that we say we love about Freakling, they had this times 10. They had a quite a few animatronics and when i say animatronics i'm not talking the ones you can find at spirit halloween where they arms move i'm talking a 15 foot wide head coming at you you know and they had many 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 of those and it all made sense with the story and the funny thing is i guess like when you go through enough haunted houses you know where you can recognize things is what I'll say. So when I'm walking and I see things like step pads where other people may not see them, I jump on those to, to trigger the scares. So we were with a group of, I think it was a family uh, and they had like three people like mom, dad, kid, and man, they were so scared. And I kept, you know, whenever they would walk, I would just keep stepping on the step pad and stuff like that. Cause there was a lot of, there weren't as many actors inside. A lot of it was based on motions and, uh, the step pads, like stuff like that. Which by the way, to clarify for anyone who may not realize a step pad is, is a trigger. You step on something and it triggers a movement of an animatronic ob- object somewhere in the room or it triggers a door to open or triggers an effect, triggers a sound effect or an air blast or something. Speaking of air blast, they had uh, this, we were had to get uh, decontaminated and there was a gigantic wind tunnel. Ah, And cool. it was, yeah, like <laughs> it, it's so simple, but it's so effective. And, and like, I hadn't seen that in a really long time. And do you know the scare we have at Freakling that we love so much where we have to duck? Something moves suddenly? Yes. Yes. And it's like, oh no, it's going to fall on me. Yeah. They had that with a chain link fence with an actor on it. Oh, (laughs) that's awesome. It was so good, man. It's so good. And another thing I want to compliment them is is on the, the onboarding. The onboarding, you walk into a room and there's a video that plays. Uh, I believe it's the owner and it's it's super whatever like he's swearing and stuff in it like you know it's like hey it's a fun time kind of thing but he goes through all the rules he basically tells you you're not going to get touched don't mess with my actors you're going to come to certain spots you will know when to proceed you will do this don't be a douche like you know it was just it set up everything and it they set up all the rules so perfectly 
that we knew what to do. One of the rules that he talks about is if you come to a closed door, wait. The reason we're doing this is because the group in front of you is too slow. And so we're making sure they're gone so you don't you get the scares you deserve. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so we came to, that happened a couple of times. The door would was closed and there would be uh, usually an actor there holding us and then we can move on. But the fact that they said here's what we're doing and the why it it's I th- I don't get that a lot out here. No. You know, like I get more of like, don't do this. That's it. Like, don't. But it's not a don't do this because it's just a don't do this. But the fact they did the because it just added so much more. And because we don't because Western Massachusetts doesn't seem to have the haunt scene we do here, that's needed because you know, I always, I always talk about normies, like, you know, during Halloween, yeah. like they go to things like that's what it seemed like. The crowd was all, it was all like n- just normal people, like not it's Halloween. Let's go to a haunted house. Like those right. types of people. So that's needed for them. But after going through it and hearing it, I feel that that should be done in everything because it added so much more to, to my well being in the haunt. I guess that is the word to say, um, because I had information Mm-hmm. I knew the why. I knew they were doing something because it would help my experience. That's great. I yeah. love that idea. And because how many times have you? You know, we've talked about conga line events. Yep. And how many times have you had the pack of five? And this is not trying to disparage this group of people, like the five 12 year old girls who all hug each other and scream continuously and bully their way from room to room. Yeah. And I've actually been in a haunt where I'm like, why don't you guys just go on ahead of me? And I let them like barge through and you know what they're doing is they're moving too fast. They're not reacting to the scares and they're just barging from room to room to room. There isn't any flow. There isn't any rhythm to what they're doing. And so it throws off scares that sounds like a wonderful thing. I love that idea. Yeah, it was really, really well done. Um, everything about it, I like. I can't speak highly enough. Like, this is something that's worth traveling to. Like, it's that good. I'm jealous. <laughs> oh, oh, says the guy who just did like six home haunts. And <laughs> whatever. And also, it was it was very party atmosphere. It's very typical of Western Mass that they had a couple bars inside and, you know, but like you walk in and there's, there's a bar and there's merch and then you, you go through the, we went on the last night, so it wasn't as crowded. So we went through like a a waiting area that there was no one in there because we went right when it opened. Um, And then when you get into the, the main area, first of all, there's a plane that crashed into the building, like prop with a- wow. Uh, uh, like a burning guy that looks like Voldemort with like flames, like fake flames. (laughs) And there's a bar in there and there's two screens and they're playing like metal videos, hardcore videos, random hip hop videos. Like, so it's like everyone, they're just, it's, it's, it's like fun leading up to it. And then they had scare actors going through the crowd randomly and stuff. And, and they were just getting people left and right because there's so many ways to get at the crowd like they had doors like on each wall because it was like, I think it was an old warehouse. Uh. Um, so people would be standing in line and all of a sudden there's someone behind you that you can't see coming because there was a door behind you that you weren't paying attention to. That's awesome. And that's just the waiting area, you know? So 
like yeah i like seriously this 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 haunt is so well done and i believe this is only their third year uh, i had heard about it uh last year and then when i was coming out uh, my friends that know i'm obviously know i'm into horror and haunted houses and stuff they're, every one of them was like you need to check out demented so i'm like okay so i finally went and i can see why that's awesome, man. Oh, another thing they had is something that we love from uh, Mabel's Six Feet Under. Mm-hmm. They had an elevator. <laughs> That's awesome. And that was well done, too, because I still don't know if it was a real elevator or not. Oh, wow. Because I, I can't figure out how I got somewhere else. That's all I'm going to say about that. Oh, interesting. Yeah, but so, yeah, really well done. The animatronics were great. The actors were great. The... The length was great. That's what she said. Um, but it was, yeah, everything about this was was so good. And I'm so, so glad I went. And, I'm very happy for you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, and for more information on Demented FX, you can find them on the web at DementedFX, and that's the letters F and X, dot com. On Facebook, Demented FX Inc. On Instagram, Demented FX 13. That's the number 13. And on Twitter, Demented FX. That just, that just sounds awesome. It's just, it, it was. <laughs> I'm like, just like, I'm just listening like, cause I, do you remember when I went to Chicago a couple of years ago and I talked about Hell's Gate, which yeah. is that like, it like, I, it, I said the same thing. It was like, that is something worth traveling for. And I'm so glad that you found something like that. Uh, you know what? I know that on the same night that you were doing that, I was doing something really cool out here. Which was? Uh, the Reality X event called Welcome Home. And I'm going to talk about this briefly, but I'm going to try to do it in a non-spoilery manner because they have announced that Welcome Home is returning, uh, I believe, next February? I believe. It's like you can... We'll give information and you can check this out. Uh, actually, our friend Jake uh, was looking for something to do and he decided that he was going to do Reality X and he reached out. You were traveling, so you couldn't join us. He and I went and all I can say is this was one of the most fun things that I did during the haunt season this year. I wonder if it's because I wasn't there. No. <laughs> it would have been just 10 times more fun if you were there, I'll Mike. stop it. <laughs> So the premise that you get from the website is sort of that you're going to a a birthday celebration and it's a sort of determination of who's going to inherit a piece of property and some wealth. And you are have it has been found out that you're a distant cousin of this person. But what is Reality X? Is it an escape room? Is it a play? Like, what is it? It's a little bit of everything. <laughs> there are escape room elements to it. Uh, and if you go to their website, they break it down. Like, for example, Welcome Home, I think it was 50 minutes of theater, two hours of the event, or, or you know, an hour and a half of the event, and then sort of like a 10-minute, you know, breakdown and cool down period, uh, and, you know, you get pictures and things at the end. So it's like two and a half hours? It's two and a half hours. Oh, wow. So the first thing you do is you meet the person who's going to make the decisions and you know that at some point you're going to have to prove yourself worthy of this inheritance or whatever. That portion was very surprising to me because it was so light and funny and energetic. And yet everything about this 
description on the website seemed to tend that this was going to be a dark uh, sort of horror-ish event. So I, as I was already off kilter a little bit. And you go and there's a little bit, there's some hors d'oeuvres served. You celebrate someone's birthday. You meet a couple of characters. And then you get the premise, the setup, and there's a menu given to you. And the menu offers, I, I don't want to go into the detail on this, but the things on the menu are tones for the evening, tracks for the evening. That's that's even more than I probably should say, but I, I the the reason I'm going I, I'm gonna leave that in because what happened is Jake and I we got assigned to a track which was apparently called Maniac was the track that we ended up doing. And Jake and I decided to work as a team. One thing about this event is you can work as a team or you can go solo if you want to. And the reason I'm bringing that up is there's an actual cash prize on the line. What? You can win, uh, I believe it's $250 for each event. And so we decided that we were going to work as a team. And also just because Jake and I came together and Jake and I like doing escape rooms and haunts together. So, I mean, we've done, the three of us have done escape rooms together. So it was like, we're going to work as a team. So what, how, how, how like, are there... So how many people per story? Like, you know, is it like like a, an escape room where you there's 10 slots and you and Jake just happen to take two and the rest were strangers and then they decided to work on something else? Like, how does it work? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we didn't know anyone else there. Uh, the The funniest couple that joined us was a mother and daughter who don't do horror things so they felt like they were totally in over their head but they did great and had an awesome time uh so what happens is you get handed sort of a information packet let's say and that information packet gives you information of while you're here this is what you need to interact with and that's how it defines the tracks. That's how it defines what you're supposed to do. Basically, it's like, I'm trying not to be spoilery. So what if I walked into a room and I saw something labeled Bridget and I saw something labeled Russell? I would interact with a thing labeled Russell. I would ignore the thing that obviously Bridget was supposed to interact with. Right, because that's not your name. Right. That's sort of that I'm I'm really simplifying that, but that's sort of the way this works. So they they make it they make it pretty clear. You you get this information packet and you start reading through it and you realize like, "Oh, it gives you some instructions." And you reach a point where it's you're basically told, "Go." And that's it. That's hmm. sort of the like so you have to leave the area you're in. You have to uh, figure out what's in this information packet, how to use it, how to solve the various puzzles that you encounter to, and it is a competition. You're playing against each other. So what's the end goal? Like who gets the inheritance? Yes. Okay. So, and you, and you get there is whoever finishes their tasks first wins. Okay. Here's the thing that throws you off. They turn off all the lights. <laughs> what? And you have a flashlight. So you're running around this this big, huge mansion in the middle of nowhere. Which, by the way, I should say, it took us an hour plus to drive there. Oh, wow. So I am not kidding. This thing is in the middle of nowhere. The location was so worth it. 
Because oh, okay. you're in the middle of nowhere. It's this big house and it's a big piece of property and you have to figure out what you're supposed to be accomplishing and where you're supposed to accomplish it. So you're given some clues and you start, you go into escape room mode. It's like, okay, I obviously have to look for something in this room and let me find the room. Let me do this. So Jake and I were working on that, except here's also what happens, Mike. There are, let's say, killers lurking on the property that are trying to prevent you from achieving your goals. Okay. This is not aggressive. This is not an extreme haunt. But the killers will capture you and they will lead you to a different place on the property than where they captured you. So then they will give you a separate task. Like at one point, uh, I will say that we discovered another team who had been captured. And so we got captured along with them. So there were four of us locked in a room and we had to figure out how to get ourselves out of that room. So before we could continue on our own individual quests that would finish the competition. I, I, the best way I can describe this is it's like hide and seek on steroids. Okay. Because you're in this dark house that you're unfamiliar with with a flashlight. If you turn the flashlight on, you're revealing yourself to the killers lurking around. Oh. The house is designed in a way it's a very open plan. So the killers have access through multiple entrances and exits on every floor. So they can get to you very easily. And they are they know the property very well. Obviously, you don't. So there were a couple of great scares. Uh, one in particular where uh, Jake and I were standing near a balcony. And we didn't realize that there was a killer on the balcony. <laughs> And we were like looking through a journal and literally this person uh, just materialized out of the dark. That's awesome. We both screamed bloody murder (laughs) and that we were captured. So the killer took us out of the house and then he took us somewhere else and we were basically locked in another place and we had to do a mini puzzle to solve that. I I will say I'm going to say something which actually could be a mini clue to people who decide to do this event in the future. Jake and I were our own worst enemies. Mm. because Jake and I both were overthinking everything. No, not you. Yeah, really. I know. It's a shocker. So the simplest of puzzles became more difficult because you're terrified that someone's going to creep up on you and scare you and capture you as before you figure out the clue. The clues take you to various places around the property. There's animal pens, there's stables, there's garages, there's barns, there's other buildings. This is a big piece of property and you can roam it. The only thing is there there are a couple places marked off for safety reasons. We overthought everything. And I actually thought of you at one point because at one point when we were locked in with that other team and we were trying to figure out how to unlock a padlock, four guys... All we had to do was unscramble a word. (laughs) At one point, there's a window in the room. And at one point, one of the killers came up and scared us through the window. And then basically, I think the killer realized how befuddled we were. And the killer literally stood outside the window and just mocked us. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Because we were like, because obviously we were having the conversation like, oh, well, what if it's this? Well, what if it's this? What if this? We completely overthought it. So when Jake had the eureka aha moment of like, oh, um, guys, 
it's obviously this. And as soon as he said it, all of us in the room were like, oh, wow. I thought I heard the universal sound of a forehead slap when I was out there. Oh, yeah. It was a universal forehead slap. And and here, and the reason I thought of you, Mike, was because the clue that we had to unscramble actually referenced something in the room we were standing. Of course it did. So it was like, wow. Like, did not, didn't even... (laughs) Yeah. So Jake had that moment. Actually, Jake had two really great moments during the night of like, oh, oh we're completely overthinking this. It's this. I, I, I'm, I'm talking. It's. I don't know even if I'm saying how much fun this is. It's a great location to explore. Really solid scares. You know, we overthought everything and it slowed us down immensely. At one point, we completely overthought the clue that was given to us. You know, and it's it was it was kind of a riddle. Here's we couldn't figure out and we got very frustrated at first in the middle of it because it was really we're like the space is too big. The house is too big. There's too many places to look. There's like we went into that mode at first and then we played a little bit while longer and then we realized that, oh, no, actually it's really logically laid out. It's contained very well as far as what the playing field is. What we had done is we had painted ourselves into the corner of overthinking everything. It was the old saying, like, you can't see the forest for the trees. Mm -hmm. We were in that mode. And about halfway through, we kind of broke that mold. And then we went, oh, you know what? Let's go back to the beginning. Let's start over again. Or, Or like, let's go back a few clues and that's what got us through. And I will say that Jake and I actually won. So congratulations! Yeah, it, it was awesome, and uh, we had a lot of f- uh, fun. The killers were having a great time. The killers were really, really fun. The end of our track offered a really fun surprise that gave us the final clue and the final thing that we had to complete. It was really, really fun. This is hide and seek on steroids with puzzles. Um, the only thing, uh, story-wise, that I'll also say is because of the story, you know that uh, the person you're meeting is very religious. We were asked a religious question at one point, and Jake and I immediately answered the wrong name. And it was like, oh, wait. It's not Satan for everything. <laughs> it's not Satan for everything. Exactly. Yeah, this was this was a blast. And uh, it, it's, it took us you know almost an hour to get to this location, more than that, that, that actually. Uh, they have a lot of fun. They recommend music for you to listen to on the way because it's oh, that's driving cool. out into the country. The location is awesome. It's fun to explore. Did you ever play Capture the Flag as a kid? Yeah. This was on the level of that, like as an adult, adult hide and seek, adult capture the flag, adult, you know, with killers hunting you. And I will say that the cast had a blast capturing us and maneuvering us around and trapping us in various scenarios. They seem to be having a great time. I really want to thank one particular actress who uh, kept hassling Jake and me. And uh, I really want to, it's like, it was very, it was very much appreciated at the end of the evening. Cause what she was doing is she was kind of tormenting Jake and me. She was, she wasn't, she was not focused on us. She was actually focused on another team, but every time we ran by her, she let us know that she was watching us. The way she did it is she's like, Oh, do you remember me? I know you. And Jake and I were like, do we really know her? 
Like, do we <laughs> have we encountered her? Like, is this someone we really know who's tormenting us? Well, come to find out, uh, we did have a connection to that actress, and we didn't know it until the very end of the evening. So she just creeped us out repeatedly through the night, and it was so much fun. That's rad. And the killer that we were dealing with was uh, we've been playing Dead by Daylight recently. The killer that we were dealing with is reminiscent of one of the killers in Dead by Daylight. So, which is uh, the Huntress? Oh, so uh, not not exactly. I made that connection. Uh, yeah, <laughs> for those of you who play Dead by Daylight, you'll recognize that song. <laughs> uh, so, I, I, all I can do is just say that this was an absolute blast. I would recommend this to horror fans. Um, if you don't like being scared, if you don't like jump scares, this may be a little too intense for you. Um, and I, I will say this, they also appreciated, I think that we were having a good time with it. Uh, I did something at the end, um, at the beginning of our track, Mike, Jake was given a prop and he had to deal with this prop and handle this prop. And at, at one point I knew like when, it, when he was given the prop, I knew that at one point I would have to help him use the prop to do something. All right. Okay. I'm, I'm being very vague because I don't want this to spoil this for anyone. So what I did is when we, when we were done with the prop, it was very clear that nobody else would need this prop, that it was just for us. And so what I chose to do, I took the prop with us for the rest of the night. When we got to the very end uh, and they said, well, congratulations, you figured everything out. Uh, one of the characters said, oh, and you figured out the correct way of using the prop. And then he realized that I had the prop with me and he was surprised. And I said, look, it only seems fair. Jake had to deal with this prop for half the night. So when we were done with it, I decided that I would take it on and I would deal with the prop the rest of the night. And so we always had it with us. And so in character, that person who is very religious said to us, what a lovely sense of justice you have. <laughs> and then he gave us an additional mission. Huh. It, it, so it's like they seemed to appreciate that we were having fun. As far as Reality X Welcome Home goes, I loved it. I think it's a great horror-ish fun evening. It, it's Be forewarned, it is quite a drive into the country to get there. We had a blast. We had a good time. And, I, and it is something which I... I'm sure you can go back and do multiple times, even though the location is the same, your tracks will be different. And I think the props that you interact with and the puzzles will be different every time. Uh, this company, Reality X, also has something coming up called Suspicion, which is a murder mystery, which also has a cash prize. Uh, it is at a location closer to downtown Los Angeles. And also, uh, I asked them the question about the tone of that one. That one is not going to be the full-on horror that Welcome Home is. That's going to be more of a murder mystery. It's not going to have, apparently, the scary level that Welcome Home does. So uh, I am curious to see what else this company brings to the plate, for sure, because I thought Reality X was a blast. If you want to learn more about uh, Welcome Home and other upcoming events from this company, check them out on the web at therealityx.com. On Facebook, look up The Reality Experiences, and that is reality, leave off the E and just go with the X. So it's reality, X-P-E-R-I-E-N-C-E-S, The Reality Experiences. 
And on Instagram, it's the reality underscore X. Really, really fun. And I'm looking forward to seeing more from this company. So you were asking what I did on Halloween. Yes. And on Halloween, uh, well, first of all, I went to Boston to go to the Red Sox celebration parade. Which, really? How was yeah, that? Which was awesome because they've only won the the championships since I've been living in California. So, <laughs> you know, at, when they first broke the curse, like I was out here and, you know, so it was just it was just really good, perfect timing. And because I got to throw it in the faces of all my L.A. friends who are Dodger fans. <laughs> so especially at work, like I'm surprised I didn't get fired with all the pictures I was sending my boss, who's a diehard Dodger oh, fan. That's funny. It was awesome. Um, but yeah, I went to Boston, I went to Yaki Way, I went to Fenway, and it was it was just so many memories of going there as a kid and, and stuff like that. So it was really cool and seeing the parade and being there and ah, it was awesome. I, that must have been an amazingly huge crowd of people. Oh yeah, I mean it was all all Boston and then some. <laughs> uh, but uh, after that, on the way home, we went to Old Sturbridge Village. And Old Sturbridge Village is that place that as a kid you hate because they force you to go there for field trips to learn stuff. <laughs> and, you know, it's the place that you went instead of going to the Boston Aquarium or the Mystic Marine Life Aquarium in Connecticut. Any of the cool places that you want to go as a little kid. No, we had to go to Sturbridge Village and with the dirt roads and watching people make butter. Um, <laughs> but what it is, it's, it's a, it, it's a village that from 1800s, new England, it's 1800s, new England village okay. is how I should have said it. They give you tours and, and show you how life was like back then. So literally you could watch people make butter, okay. you know, you would watch people like shear sheep and make wool, uh, like have make that wool into yarn or whatever, you know, stuff like that. Things like as a kid, you could care less about, but as an adult, it's like, Oh my God, like, this is so cool. Like, <laughs> like going back there. So the funny thing is where sleepy hollow took place was not at the main part. It wasn't at the main entrance. It was an entrance that was, you know, a minute away. So we didn't see any signs. So we went to the main, the main gate or there's not a gate, but like the main buildings, like where if you were going to service village, that's where you would start. And there was, it was empty and the doors were unlocked. So because we were lost and that's what I'm going to say in pleading ignorance, uh, we went inside because the doors were unlocked Wow! and walked around. Like I forget what, what it was, but it was one of the first buildings and, Man, it's so, so creepy because it's dead silent and you feel like you went back in time and everything is made how it was made back then. So it's very thick, wide hardwood floors that creak on every step, like a fireplace that's as tall as you are. Like you can walk in into it and you feel like if you pull the handle, you would swing around into a secret room like that kind of <laughs> fireplace. And it was just so it was so cool walking there. And uh, eventually we realized that's not where we're supposed to be because showtime was supposed to start in about like 10 minutes. So uh, we went back, reread the emails and it's like, oh, it's here. Not it's at this place, not where we're at. So we went there and then we saw cars and people and it's like, OK, um, so what they did is you you go in and you can have dinner beforehand 
and you could have either like beef stew or clam chowder. Yeah, I said chowder. <laughs> um, or you know they had like like vegetarian or vegan options as well. But it was what it did was you have? Beef beef chowder, man. Okay, beef All stew. Right. And the cool thing about this was that Sleepy Hollow took takes place outside, so it's outside in New England in the fall. It's cold, so. Mm-hmm. It's cool to get, you know, a little warmed up beforehand. And like, I think that's, that's something that we don't get a lot of here. Like that, that kind of cozy feeling before you go out. And so we went, we went out and the, the show started. There was a big sleepy hollow sign on this bridge. And all you see are like those tiki light tiki torches like with mm-hmm. fire coming out like that line the way you're supposed to walk i showed you a video earlier oh, of it. The, like it's it's literally a walkway of fire in the dark yeah because there's an, it's it's the 1800s so there's no electricity right it's all torches up up until you get to the the village uh, when i was reading about this i didn't really know what to expect i just knew Seeing Sleepy Hollow outside on Halloween at Sturridge Village in the fall was going to be rad no matter oh, yeah. what. But what they showed us and what the show was, it was so much better than I ever expected. It was part musical. It was part comedy. It was even immersive in parts. Like it was, it was everything that you love about a good show that wasn't too heavy on any one aspect of it. And do you, I mean you? Do you, I'm assuming you know the story of Sleepy Hollow, like yes. the love and everything like mm-hmm. that. The actors playing these people were so good for their roles. Uh, like the guy who played Ichabod Crane was just so socially awkward, and he like he reminded me of you in a, in a way. Great, like thanks. I don't and I don't mean it like that. I mean you said you were just socially awkward like five minutes ago, so yes. whatever. <laughs> but no, like just, you don't like, have to reaffirm it. <laughs> what, like the way like his little like like ticks like when he would say something like uh, uh, oh okay you know because you know it's stuff like that and it was it was so natural and they had two of the actors were narrators basically mm-hmm. for the show and that's one thing that was really cool because they it never felt out of place like it always felt like a voiceover even though they were right there in front of you saying right it. um and they had an intermission at one point and the actors talk to you um, because where the intermission was, it was taking place during the party. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there were games like set up around so you could play like these games and the actors would come and like play with you and, you know, and you could like talk to them and that's awesome. Yeah. And it was like, it was like if, if no one's ever been to an immersive show, they would go to this, not realize that that is what immersive is fall in love with it and then keep going back right because that's what my friend did like because when i tell her about like the immersive stuff i do she automatically thinks like extreme haunts yeah and when i when after that i was like so what did you think like that because like some of this was immersive that's the stuff i talk about like with the the, you know that happens in la that i do and she's like oh my god i love this this was amazing Mm -hmm. so you know i think there's a way to like bring these people in like more people that are into it but but yeah, like the the fact that there was there's interactivity and even during the show, like there was one point where there's a guy, I forget his name, uh, I forget the character's name, but he's the the boyfriend and Ichabod said something and it made me laugh and he walked by me he's like, "Get that smile off your face." You know, like stuff like <laughs> like there's little things like that that makes shows like this so good. 
And so we went, there were uh, maybe four spots in the show where we went. So we would walk from the gate to one place, then scenes would happen. We'd walk to one of like the schoolhouse, like the literal schoolhouse, like that would happen. And we'd walk here. Uh, Of course, with The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, everybody wants to see the headless freaking horseman. Yeah. Uh, so after one, after the last scene, we walk and we see there's a bridge and it's like, Oh wait, flat callback to the story. There's where, a bridge in the story. Yeah. <laughs> where if he's not a coward, he'll cross the bridge and tie the handkerchief or the scarf. And so once I see the bridge, it's like, Oh my God, it's coming. It's really going to happen. And because it's Sturbridge village, they have animals there. So, Everything I, I had hoped for, I was like, I want to see a headless freaking horseman on a horse, like ride right. by me. And I did. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So he came, like, you know, the, came to his part and he came galloping, holding the jack-o'-lantern, which I, I showed you that yeah, the other day. Yeah, that's awesome. And then, you know, it's just the fact that he was there and then he came back without the jack-o'-lantern and then you see Ichabod, like, carrying it. Oh, so good. And then I guess this was special for Halloween after the show, they had a meet and greet with the cast. Oh, cool. Yeah. So we got to talk to them and they had the horse and the headless horseman come out. And you could take pictures with everyone. <laughs> and of course, I see Ichabod and I was like, where's your pumpkin? And he's like, oh, do you want do you want to take a picture with the pumpkin? I was like, yes, please. He's like, OK, hold on. And he went back to like, you know, wherever they had it stored, got the pumpkin be- and we took a picture together. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he was he was awesome. Like he was really good. So yeah, it was it was so that, good. That sounds like a really great Halloween. It was. And it this is one of those shows where location is everything. You know, we joked about that before, but oh. if this happened anywhere else, I mean, sure it could probably work, but it adds so much because you are in an old village. Like that's meant to be from the 1800s, that's dressed up to be like it's from the 1800s and doesn't have anything modern. I mean, of course they had lights to shine and stuff because you have to, otherwise it's pitch black. Um, but they weren't props mm. like, because that's say, like I mentioned the schoolhouse, that schoolhouse is used for tours. So they have desks inside that, right. sh- you know, they have all of that. It's not just a facade. Like, you know, it, it has every detail. So that sounds pretty special. Yeah. It it was awesome. And I actually want to kind of go back and take the tour that my 10 year old (laughs) self hated because it's like, I guess because there's so many reality shows, like there's that show alone and, um, forge and fire that show you like blacksmithing and how to survive Mm -hmm. on your own. Like I'm so into those and you know, I'm not like a crazy prepper or anything, but like, you know, in the back of my mind, of course, it's like, oh, well, what if something happens and we don't have power? You know, right. those are skills that are invaluable. And it's like, I really want to learn those types of skills at some point. So going back and seeing all of those things in person, I think would be really cool. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it sounds really cool. It really does. Yeah. So maybe next time I go home, I'll go. <laughs> uh, and for more information on... Sleepy Hollow and or Old Sturbridge Village. You can find them on the web at osv.org, on Facebook, Old Sturbridge Village, on Instagram, Old Sturbridge Village, and on Twitter, Old Sturbridge. So speaking of theatrical. Yes. 
you went to something that you love to go to every year. Uh, yeah, I went back to Wicked Lit this year, which Wicked Lit uh, is uh, usually a series of plays that take place uh, around uh, mortuary in Altadena. And this year they made some changes. Uh, they shortened the show and it has a smaller footprint. So you traveled around less of the mortuary. Uh, quite often in the past, they've staged stuff in a cemetery. They didn't do that this year. And they offered two shows a night rather than one show a night, which has been their past sort of method of operation. Was it the same price as last year? Um, I don't recall, actually. Hmm. I, I believe it was, but I might be wrong about that. So we're starting to see maybe not a trend, but same price or more expensive for less things. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I would be unfair to label this this way without a little more research. Sorry. But uh, yeah, I, I'm not, I don't remember off the top of my head because I've paid for so many tickets in the last right. two months. So, um, but the Wicked Lit this year, I, for me, it was a mixed bag, to be totally honest. And one thing that we should mention is, uh, we we did mention it earlier, uh, and I'm going to destroy I'm going to destroy this man's name again. Carrie uh, K. Carrie K. Or Casimir what? Just stop. Kaz- Just stop. Don't Rockets. try. You've already ruined it like four times. Uh, okay. <laughs> but uh, who wrote Wounded and wrote Gray People? Uh, also wrote one of the shows uh, in Wicked Lit. The other one was written by Jonathan jo- Josephson. And uh, they did two stories. Wicked was called The Chimes and the Corpse. They did one story called Teague O'Kane and the Corpse, which Carrie Kay wrote, and The Chimes, a Goblin story, which uh, was actually based on some Charles Dickens novella. And this was sort of a mixed bag for me. One thing that I thought was really lovely is one of the things in the past that that has been a, a, a consistency with Wicked Lit that sometimes bumps me is the inconsistency in tone this year everything was thematically cohesive and both of the stories dealt with similar themes in certain ways and i really really liked that uh i thought it i thought it was more cohesive than in the past as far as the overall vibe and tone of the show goes uh because it was shorter the plays themselves i think were about the same length and they had a wraparound the wraparound was okay, but it wasn't as ornate as it has been in years past. They concentrate on the two plays. The first play, Tigo Kane and the Corpse, was more humor, Mike. And it was really, really? Yeah. And it was really interesting because it's about a man who has been in mourning and he sort of has to face how he's not living his own life by actually confronting someone who's lost theirs. So he meets a corpse and he has to deal with the corpse. This leads to some really awkward, funny, almost slapstick moments because the corpse sort of, he has to help the corpse move because the corpse is losing motor function. So there's some really physical comedy stuff and some really fun moments of him trying to deal with the corpse being so awkward. Uh, And it tells a story of, uh, well, like I said, he basically through dealing with this corpse and dealing with what the corpse needs to move on and to accept his fate, the man realizes that he is mourning and not living his own life. And that there is a beautiful woman who wants him in her life that he's ignoring. He realizes what constant mourning costs you. So, and the other story is based on Charles Dickens and it's actually very similar in tone to a Christmas Carol, except it's a ghost story with more of a Halloween vibe of someone who ostracizes a family member 
uh, some uh, rambunctious ghosts come, show him a couple of scenarios of how he could really hurt this person by ostracizing them. So definitely spooky, definitely uh, a cohesive tone. One thing that kind of threw me, and even in the prologue, they actually say it's like we're going you know wicked lit is known for this and they the the prologue i should explain is sort of like a history of wicked lit it was it was a museum and they had props from old shows uh some costume stuff that you that you know if you've been going to wicked lit a few years you would recognize and they were talking about well you know wicked lit offers this in the past and offers this in the past and of course we bring the horror every year that's what was missing was I didn't feel that this was really horror oriented. Yes, you had the ghosts. Yes, you had a corpse, but they were played more light. So like I said, a mixed bag, but so ambitious, so wonderful to see a production in the Altadena Mortuary because it's such a theatrical setting in itself. And as you say, location makes everything. Uh, so it was a bit of a mixed bag. I would, I want to see what they do next year to see how they're going to progress even from this. But I do really like the cohesive tone that this had, because that's something that always seems to bump me in the past. Like, you know, a couple of years ago, they had a Japanese ghost story in the middle of Wicked Lit. So that was like, why I don't under, this doesn't feel like it fits cohesively with everything else I'm seeing. So a mixed bag, pros and cons, uh, but really, really did enjoy the show. I just cool. was expecting it to be more horror-oriented, and that disappointed me a little bit because they've really delivered some scary stuff in the past. So, But still, a worthy production, absolutely. If you'd like more information on Wicked Lit, go to unboundproductions.org, or you can look them up on Facebook at Wicked Lit, on Instagram as Unbound Productions. And on Twitter, it's Unbound LA. And Russell, you went back and did a couple things for a second time while I was gone, too. Yeah, actually, um, I, both times, I people from out of town came in town, and I did them. We've had a bunch of visitors. Uh, Omar, Justin, Deanna, John, uh, who else? Uh, Jeff. Um <laughs> Numerous people have come into town and visited during the haunt season. So uh, I ended up going back to Delusion and I ended up going back to Creep LA. Cool. And how did they differ, if at all, from your first times? Uh, at Delusion, uh, there is a couple of alternate rooms I did. It's not really alternate tracks in Delusion. It's sort of like just a different point of view of events. And But Delusion the second time through was just as fun as my first time through. And actually, um, I got a I got an entire group together for Delusion. Um, we had a blast. It was uh, Carrie, Tanya, Brianna, Adam, David, Morgan, and Jake, and me. So it was all people I work with, or have done theater with, or done haunts with, or done escape rooms with, and and it was it was a blast. We all had a good time. Uh, I got to see, a, like I said, a slightly different uh, take on a couple of the sections. Still really fun. Love the production design this year. Uh, yeah, it, it just delusion is a great deal of fun, and uh, we should mention that they have officially extended. So they are right now selling tickets through what is it June? I believe so. So that's awesome. And I love the fact that it's sort of a sci-fi story this year rather than straight horror, because I think that's going to appeal to more people. And I wish them luck on the run. I sincerely hope that this, this turns into something which comes back and runs for months at a time regularly, because I think LA can support that. I want LA to support that. 
going back to delusion a second time was an absolute blast. I'm really glad I've seen that show twice now. And to be totally honest, I might give it a rest. And in a couple of months, if tickets are still available, because I know they're selling really well for the extension, uh, I would consider going and seeing it a third time. Awesome. If you'd like to learn more about Delusion and to check out tickets for the extension, uh, you can look them up at enterdelusion.com. And on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all three are enterdelusion, all one word. And what else did you do? Uh, I went back to Creep a second time. And here's the thing, Mike. I think I got some of the track you did your t- your uh, when you went through Creep. Okay. Because you had mentioned a really nightmarish sequence, kind of a surreal sequence involving a repeating room. Yes. I got that sequence. Nice. And the thing about my second time through, the first time I, I went through, uh, uh, the Creep show is called Awake. And it is about nightmares. And so you feel like you're stepping into other people's nightmares. And the first time I felt like I was stepping into scenes that had a nightmarish quality to them, a dinner gone wrong or a home visit from a salesman that went wrong and really dark overtones. This time I got one of those scenes. I got a um, a stalker sequence and how it affected the woman who was victimized by someone who she didn't want his advances and turned him away and he couldn't take rejection. That was really disturbing. And it led into a more surreal show for me, much more nightmarish visions. Uh, The bedroom sequence you referred to, there was a character called Mr. Fingers. I Hmm. absolutely loved. And it was, they created this character that had hands that were three feet long. And, you know, you saw him, you saw the nightmare win. Yeah. Which was really disturbing. <laughs> I saw a funeral where the the corpse took a much more active role than they normally would at a funeral. Uh, I saw a very, very strange wedding that was very disturbing. Um, I got pulled away to see a ritual where I helped purge a man of his sins. And then uh, the ending sequence uh, was... I came later to that ending sequence, so it had much more of a weird interpretive dance feel for me. Uh, I, I really, really enjoyed Creep this year. I said after my first time that it was probably my favorite Creep show. Mm-hmm. I, I think I stand by that. I I really... I, I met um, Justin as one of the creators. Uh, Just Fix It um, Productions puts on Creep. And I told him after the show, I saw him, and I said, I find it fascinating that... I went through this show twice, and the first time I got more horrific nightmares, the second time I got more surreal nightmares. Hmm. And the fact that I got those two different feelings from the same show is fascinating to me. Oh, definitely. And I think it's an achievement. I I think it's... uh, I really, really enjoyed this show a lot, and I'm glad I went back a second time. Uh, Particularly, um, I want to thank uh, the cast for giving me some truly chilling moments. Um, and, and, you know, I, I realized at one point um, an actor was like sort of, uh, it's, there's a sequence where a lot of, a lot of the patrons sit down and there's sort of a kind of a lecture classroom vibe, which was a wonderful sequence. And uh, near the end of that, uh, people start getting pulled away for various scenes. And the actor who came up to me, I didn't realize it until he he reached out to take my hand and my hand was shaking. And I didn't realize it until he took my hand and I went, oh, 
my hand is shaking. <laughs> and I thought that was like that that's 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 nice that I I'm that tense. And it wasn't I was scared, it was just that I was tense. So I thought that was yeah, nice nice going on creep. I I just the the awake show I thought was was lovely. Um in in all the right ways. Uh, if you would like to learn more about Creep, uh, go to jfiproductions.com. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter are all JFI Productions. And definitely check out that Instagram for pictures of some of the characters from the Creep Awake show, and you'll get a vibe for why it was so surreal and fascinating. And Mike, I also did a couple of other things, which, believe it or not, I think we're coming into the home stretch of this. <laughs> wow, you did more? I no did, way. I did more. We have talked about the Kansas collection from the Speakeasy Society uh, numerous times because it's a serialized show which has been going through multiple chapters. And while you were away, they mounted chapter seven, The Heart. And I know it is their intention to eventually remount these so I'm not going to get too spoilery, but I will say this. Um, it, it featured a couple of my favorite characters, actually several of my favorite characters from the whole adventure. Um, you showed up and Jack and Tick were there. Nice. From And if, if you, uh, the Speakeasy Society has been exploring the Oz mythology through a very, very odd filter of, it's almost a political scenario where, after Dorothy leaves Oz, the Tin Man becomes a rebel. The Scarecrow King takes over and forms a militia, which may or may not be doing horrible things to the residents of Oz. Uh, magic has been banned, and yet you have witches running around who are trying to regain their power or a position in society. It's fascinating. They have been doing so much with this uh, series of shows. This one was very similar in, I think, certain ways to the last one, Mike, and the fact that you met a couple of characters who just presented their case. Okay. And in in this case, you know, Jack and Tick were there, and you find out, you know, like, they're still trying to help Dorothy. They're still trying to protect Dorothy, and they want to be in service to Dorothy. And uh, Jack has something to prove since he failed her in the past. So all of that is explored. All of that stuff has been revealed in previous shows. In this case, there's these brief interactions and you realize that their sincerity makes you want them to succeed. But you meet the Tin Man here in a way that I don't think we've ever seen him before. And I will say this, Mike, he sort of unpacks his side of the story. Okay. And he really made me think about Dorothy in a completely new light. Uh-oh. To to such a degree that I now question any allegiances and alliances I have made in this world. Wow. And I don't know where I stand anymore. And there comes a point in this show that you're asked your opinion of Dorothy. And I'm sort of keeping that a bit vague, yeah. but I will say I was surprised at my own decision. Well, don't try to jump on the Ozma train at this point. No, like, it's not that. It's just like I, I, I went. I thought I was completely with um, a certain group. Yeah, you were with Patchwork. Yes. <laughs> uh, to be totally honest, I, I, I don't know where Patchwork stands right now. Interesting. 
So, um, but I, I will say I really do enjoy the, the Kansas collection shows. I enjoy Speakeasy Society's work. Um, I love these characters and I find them fascinating. And I think this was a 20 to 25 minute show, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. So for them to pack as much information and surprises in that amount of time and, um, yeah, it was it was quite surprising. And by the end of it, I was really confused and flummoxed. And uh, I will say this, uh, Jack, wow, he knows how to hug. <laughs> okay. and that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> Don't touch the actors, Russell. So he touched me. <laughs> There's a sound clip for a text message. Morgan, you know what to do. <laughs> so, but I gave consent. So okay. it was okay. <laughs> Um, to learn more about the Speakeasy Society shows, and there are shows upcoming in the Kansas collection, uh, look up speakeasysociety.com on the web. On Facebook, it is the Speakeasy Soch, or the Speakeasy SOC. And on Instagram and Twitter, it is also the Speakeasy Soch, SOC. So, Russell, what else did you do? Okay. Uh, this is something that we have heard about before. Safe House 77 came back for another run. Now, this is a show that has mounted twice before in Los Angeles over the course of the past year. Uh, the first time I know sold out. The second time, actually the second time, I believe we were both out of town during the second time that this show was mounted. And they brought it back for a couple of weekends and I had the chance to go to it. And I really enjoyed this show. And it's very, very odd and unique in good ways. Uh, if you know your spy movies and you know your your <laughs> your spy terminology, uh, you might recognize the term safe house. And safe house seventy seven does have a little bit of a spy vibe to it. Uh, it's two and a half hours long. It is you attending a party in nineteen seventy seven. Okay. So you're encouraged to dress accordingly. Oh, between measure for measure and this, how happy are you this past few months? <laughs> I had a good time. And I will say, uh, I was very happy with what I wore. Oh, and several geez. other people in the room were very happy with what I wore. <laughs> so this party is actually a party to support the ERA because the Equal Rights Amendment had not passed as, or let's say we were still trying to gather the support of numerous states at that time in our history. So you're going to support party for the ERA. So all of these strangers show up who are all interested in equal rights for all. Before you arrive, you receive a message that not is all as it might seem once you get to this party. And you find out that if you're open to possibilities, you may have the opportunity to prove yourself worthy of, let's say, serving your country in a high-pressure sort of spy versus spy motif. So, during the course of the evening, it is a party. It is you attending a party. So, there's actually some similarity here with Theater Macabre, Mike, as far as you have to go in and you have to interact. And you have to learn about the people who are attending this party. And the guests arrive... And they arrive at various times like they would at any other party. And what you start to learn is you start to learn the past history of the relationships of the people there, relationships to the people who are hosting the party. Uh, there's like 
the, there's a current couple that one of the exes shows up and you have people who have worked together and have they're bringing their work stress to the party and you get a vibe for that and then in the middle of all of this each guest at the party as i said has the opportunity to prove themselves i was approached and i was sort of given a little task to perform but i had to do it in secret so there is a spy element to this story and i don't want to go too much into detail because there is another safe house coming and it may or may not be in the same time period i will say that oh interesting so uh he, the 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 pros and cons of this uh i think some people would feel very awkward because it is a party that you have to attend and it is a party where they're serving strong drinks it's a party where at one point you're making food and you might get asked to make the food with some of the you know the pay, the people hosting the party and you get pulled into separate rooms and get told different stories about other guests so it is an awkward party and I think some people may feel uncomfortable with that, but I think if you can engage yourself and play into you're just attending a party and if you feel awkward, that's you in the party. Because look, I, I'm awkward at parties and I just knew that I was going to be awkward for the first, especially the first half, I would say, when I was getting getting introduced to like, oh, you used to date so-and-so. Well, oh, you're the person that they said this about. And like, so you really get that vibe of you're coming into a close knit group of friends that know all the dirt on each other. That's fascinating. But you have to sort of be proactive and interactive, I think, for this to work really, really well for you. I had a good time. The other thing I have to compliment, the costuming, the props, this entire house is from 1977. That's the real scary thing. <laughs> the carpeting, the the couches, the furniture. I walked in and the first thing I noticed was the stereo. And it's the old clunky turntable with those speakers with the beige, the like the front side. I was like, wow, that that stereo is literally from 1977. Uh, the seventies music plays all night long. Uh, it's, it's a blast. And if you go to a safe house show in the future, I highly recommend go dressed for the appropriate time period, go dressed like you're attending this party because the ERA needs your support anyway. Okay. <laughs> Show's <laughs> over Russell. <laughs> so I had a blast. And also I, I, I want to like thank the cast the cast commits to this. The cast is so much fun to play around with. The improv moments that happened, uh, the the sincere moments that happened. I had a wonderful, wonderful sincere moment with with one of the characters that took me totally by surprise. Like there, there's there's gold here to be found, but I think it comes from you being open to attending this party with an open mind and an open heart, and just engage and interact as much as you can. So I had a really good time at this. Awesome. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about Safe House 77 uh, and future productions, uh, go on the web to safehouse77.com. Uh, go on Facebook to Spy Brunch Safe House 77. 
and on Instagram, SafeHouse1977, and also on Twitter, SafeHouse1977. Whew. Was that it? That's everything. So, well, we do we do have a shout-out or two. Okay. <laughs> After our last podcast, because um, I tried very, very hard to put you in the Halloween mood before you left town and, and all of that, I, um, I decorated... <laughs> And I had spiders, and I had various stuff out. I had a spooky candle, a white linen-scented candle, but it was still spooky in my opinion. Spoopy. So, it, it, spoopy is not a thing. It is a thing. <laughs> I refuse to accept spoopy as being a thing. Okay. So, uh, but uh, Adina, who has once in the past kind of did, how would you call them, caricatures? Shibis. Shibis of us did uh did one and posted it of uh the opening of our last podcast and the funny thing is like obviously she didn't she wasn't there she didn't see the setup she didn't see pictures or or anything and it was pretty spot on to what it actually was right down to the color of the tablecloth (laughs) which is kind of creepy because i don't think we talked about the color of the tablecloth (laughs) it's just a good guess so yeah it was uh it was very nice and thank you so much that was such a touching wonderful surprise so mike uh in why are you why do you have a bag behind your <laughs> don't worry it's not if gonna it's go not going head. oh <laughs> never mind it's not going over your head or my head um since you were out of town and you made so much fun of my spoopy Ugh. candle <laughs> i got you a halloween gift sir oh my god <laughs> so because this actually is if you look at this this is actually like a carved acorn sort of candle that I actually gave you uh, that, that I'm you can't you, open that I can't open. So it's a tin. So, uh, so yeah, so I'm giving you your own spooky candle. Is it fresh linen? So, no, it's not. It's actually pumpkin spice. Oh, great. <laughs> Thanks. So, there you have your own spooky, spooky candle. This is not spooky or spoopy. Uh, it, it's a candle. So you have one of your own now. Okay. So, so, and the other thing I brought is like, dude, seriously, the day after Halloween, the target near me, mm-hmm. there was nothing left Halloween wise and Christmas had taken over. And the weird thing that I noticed, the candy section for Christmas, almost twice as large as the Halloween candy section. Hmm. Interesting. So like, like, but Halloween is the candy holiday. This should not be. This is like a crime against nature. So, but I, I couldn't resist. So I got you. I got you a little something. Ugh. I got you a Snickers Christmas tree. Thanks. <laughs> so, but you also, if you're gonna have to, you also have to accept the Christmas Kit Kat. Oh my God. So there. So thanks. You have your own Snickers Christmas tree. Hey, thanks. So here, have All another right. one. Oh Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks. <laughs> What were you saying? I was going to give some information about Las Vegas. Uh, First of all, uh, Majestic Rep Theater is going to be putting on a Krampus show soon in December. Um, And that's going and I'm saying that because that will give us an excuse to go to Vegas again to do that. And the new Zoe room that opened in Las Vegas, where they actually have a quote of ours on the door. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) <laughs> it is and thank you omar for sending us that picture um but yeah like zoe is probably i think both of our favorite escape rooms ever oh yeah i i think it is my favorite escape room and Great. they open one in bally's uh so super excited to go and check that out 
Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, we yeah. made a door in Vegas. <laughs> like the next, that's like the next step is a billboard, right? Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Maybe someday. Dreams. We can always dream. Appearing live. <laughs> so that is pretty awesome. Absolutely. Um, so if you're in Vegas, go check out the Zoe escape room uh, because the one here in Fullerton is incredible. And if you don't live in California, you're probably going to go to Vegas at some point before Fullerton, California. So check it out. Yeah, it, it that's yeah. I'm so happy about that. I'm so happy that that is is, is expanding. It's such a great escape room. So, um, oh, you know, I looked down on my list. I realized that I had done something else. I went and saw Dear Evan Hansen, and oh, I don't know what that is. Oh, for those of you who listen to this podcast who who know what Dear Evan Hansen is, I finally saw it because I missed it in New York the last couple of times I was there, and I totally get the phenomenon that it is now. I'd rather see see Dear Chris Hansen. So. <laughs> wow to, anyway to catch a so, predator but was I, such I, a good I show i don't think dear evan hansen is really appropriate for this podcast okay why yeah. are you reaching for something else now <laughs> who me <laughs> oh my god russell stop it so um ages and ages and ages ago uh you had a birthday <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that long ago it was a month and a half okay so ages ago you had a birthday uh you're almost old now and uh at the time it, your birthday comes at a weird time of the year when people have announced stuff that that will be released but hasn't been released yet. So uh, I told you at the time that I had a birthday present for you, oh. and it finally arrived. Literally, I think less than two weeks ago. Okay. So I want to give you a birthday present. Oh my god! <laughs> so that's the birthday oh, present. Thanks. So happy birthday, sir. Thanks. Do I have to open it now? I I, uh, I think you might want to. Let's say our listeners would appreciate what that item is. Fine. Huh. So happy birthday! <laughs> thanks. It's the Halloween soundtrack on vinyl. Oh. Unlimited clear orange vinyl. Yep. Pum- pumpkin orange. <laughs> that is, I think, one of 2,500, and that's it. It's the limited edition orange vinyl release. Cool. Thanks, man. So, which has a amazing sleeve, just with, like, cutout eyes, and you see the title behind them, and yeah. So happy birthday, man. Cool. Thank you. So you're welcome. Have you heard the soundtrack? I have not. Just that first track that got released. Dude, there's a couple like you as a DJ can make use of that vinyl. (laughs) (laughs) Because John Carpenter has got that pulsating sort of dance vibe a little bit in a couple of the the title tracks. Nice. So it's like it is such a good soundtrack. For those of you who haven't heard the Halloween 2018 soundtrack, it's really fun. It's really good. I've, I've actually been listening to it work as I've been cutting family programming for disney <laughs> so uh is that it dude that's that's everything for now so i we have like a a pile of paper and and so anyway remind me not to go away for two and a half weeks again <laughs> during halloween <laughs> oh i am i really it sounds like you had a wonderful trip man i did yeah. i'm very very happy about that yep so happy halloween yeah thanks and how ha- this is going to come out after thanksgiving so hope everyone had a good and full thanksgiving and you can't move and if you since the holidays are coming up and you're not working or you are sick of family and you are on ps4 make sure to add us because we just got a we're playing a ton of games like lately like dead by daylight and we just picked up firewall like 
uh, what is it? Firewall Zero Hour? Yeah. Yes. Um, so that's a four-man team. So if you have PSVR, you can play that. And Mike just introduced me to something called Super Hot. Yeah. Holy crap, is that fun. Yep. Oh and, my God, is that fun. And Creed. You downloaded Creed last night so we can box each other from the comforts of our own living room. You just want to punch me in the face, I don't know. you? I <laughs> know. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> But how fun is that going to be? So, which, by the way, uh, I played, uh, Mike let me like sort of demo Creed at his place. And the the comment that Mike made was, "What? how did you word it? I don't know what I said. Uh, wow, you are not a natural born fighter, oh. are you? <laughs> or something like you've never been in a fight or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that shows my boxing skills. So, anyway, uh, so, yes. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, is that it, man? Yeah, that's it. Okay. All right. So, uh, thank you, everyone. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, you can email us at mike at myhauntlife.com or russell at myhauntlife.com with two S's and two L's. I don't know why we say this because I think most people message us through the email and Facebook, which goes to contact at myhauntlife.com. So, I'm just saying it. Whatever. Um, <laughs> just reach out. Yeah. Or Touch just, us. Morgan. Um, <laughs> and yeah, find us on the web and all the social medias at My Haunt Life. Um, leave us a text message or a voicemail on the hotline, 515-HAUNT-LA. Um, we got to find some stuff to do because it's kind of like nothing. Uh, it's like the after Halloween lull. No, and well, the actually, holiday to be totally lull. honest, some of what we talked about w- was in the month of November. So it's not like all of this didn't happen before Halloween. Right. This is not just a Halloween episode. It's also like the mid-October, mid-November sort of episode. So, wow, we've been busy. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so thanks for listening through this crazy few hours. And until next time. I'm Mike. And I'm Russell. See ya. Get out. Mm. We're done for now. We'll just go with that for now. Uh, who? Wait, what did you have in mind? But really, for cool visuals, check out the underscorm, 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 under. Okay. Um, what did you end up doing on Halloween, Mike Night? Uh, oh, <laughs> wow, I am just having one of those nights. Wow. Uh. <laughs> Do you want to try again, or should we just keep going? No, I just think from now on I'm going to call you Halloween Mike. (laughs) Okay. (laughs)